Welcome back to Second and Short. It is Friday, January 19th, 2024. I am joined by Mr. Luke Morozik, as per usual on a Friday, and we've got a whole lot to talk about. The NFL Divisional Round begins on Saturday after a fantastic wild card weekend. Um, I'm going to be honest, there's not really much else happening outside of the NFL Divisional Round. <laughs> we got some Premier League soccer. We have a couple of MLB moves that have happened over the week that aren't really that big. We had International Signing Day, uh, but it's all football right now, and Right before we started recording, I got a Twitter notification that Bill Belichick is expected to be announced as the head coach of the Falcons. Don't know how I feel about that. Luke, if you would like to give me any insight on how I should feel about that, this would be your time. Well, he's better than Arthur Smith. Okay, um, I like that. That's trending I, in the right how direction. Long, yeah, how long you're going to have him, though, I don't know. Um, I, I, It's weird. I feel like Atlanta is in a spot where maybe they can get a head coach that can actually use the elite talent that the Falcons have. Cause they have a lot of it. Maybe they just want to bring in a head coach really fast and, you know, see what they can do. I mean, the rest of their division is not that great, but as you and I both put it, you know, I think Mike Vrabel would have been a better head coach. He's someone that, you know, you can look more long-term with than Belichick, but as a Falcons fan, I, I think you should be very excited. Yeah. I, and I, and I'd like to be, I just don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know who our quarterback's going to be next year. I don't know what we're going to draft with the eighth overall pick. I really don't know where anything is heading for the Falcons. Uh, but, like, it, yeah, it's nice to have a head coach that's better than Arthur Smith. And Bill Belichick yeah. is guaranteed better than Arthur Smith. Uh, but the rest of the stuff on the ledger today, of course, the NFL Divisional Round. We're going to be talking about the NFL All-Pro First Team Uh our top five center fielders from 2023 talk about the premier league, some transfer news, a lot of transfer news actually. Uh, and then rounded out with some more questions time, uh, from Reddit from Nathan. So, um, Luke, you ready to get into this thing? Yeah, let's talk about the NFL. Well, Luke, your Steelers lost last week, unfortunately. Uh, how are you feeling? Yep. Just, you know, go into this weekend. Now you've got no dog in the fight. <laughs> um, I I had more hope. I, I I knew obviously the Bills are way better than the Steelers this year, but I I had hopes that you know maybe we could have got it done against a um a, honestly a really good offense, but a very reckless offense. But mm -hmm. um, you know it really hurt to not have T.J. Watt. But you know I I'm really proud of the Steelers because you know through those games where we were losing at home to you know teams like New England and Arizona that were like two win teams at the time, you know everybody was talking about you know Mike Tomlin needs to go Steelers culture is gone, and then Mason Rudolph comes you know back in and gets us uh, three wins in a row to finish the season off. Yeah. So you know once again the Steelers end a, just a little bit above average and and I can at least be happy about that. I think we showed a lot of fight at the end of the season when everybody was against us. Um so all in all I'm proud but you know I I'm bummed that we haven't gotten a playoff win in 8 years. That that is the that's the biggest gripe that I have right now is like um now you put me on the soapbox but I I wanted to bring up this point. Um I was talking to my roommate who's a Falcons fan and he was just telling me he was like, you know, you should be so thankful that you have a head coach like Mike Tomlin. Like, you know, regardless of what the Steelers will finish at the end of the season, we'll probably be there at the end playing for a playoff spot. 
Yeah. It's been a while since we haven't been in that position, you know, going into week 17 and now week 18. But it, it is frustrating to be consistently just not good enough, but better than a lot of the NFL. And I mean, yeah, like I, we've been in the playoffs, we've been in that position, but we haven't won a playoff game in eight years. So yeah. really what makes us different? Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand. I think when it comes down to it, like I think, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a vast majority of what we get out of the NFL or from our NFL team is the regular season. Everybody gets the same amount of whatever from their team throughout the season. Everybody plays 17 games. That's where it all comes from. If your team's consistently winning over half of those games, you're definitely going to feel a little bit better than than the guys that are going, you know, 5 and 5 and 12. So, yeah. I think that's probably where that comes from, but also I do understand not not being happy with just getting in and not really doing anything about it. Like, you know, yeah. eight, eight years without a playoff win is very hard to see. Yeah, big time. But, yeah, I, I get it. I guess, like, we can just chalk it up as, like, it's um, it's different levels of unhappiness. And yeah. It's different types. Yeah. So, At least yeah. you're not calling for the firing of your head coach for the second half of the season. <laughs> Dude, some of them are. Some of them don't want Mike Tomlin, and I just yeah. think that's complete bullshit. But anyway, we can well. we can get into the into the playoffs. All right. Well, then <laughs> let's talk about Saturday. It all starts on Saturday, four thirty p.m. on ESPN. You got Texans Ravens, the red hot Ooh. Houston Texans, just fly by the Cleveland Browns last week in tremendous yeah. fashion. C.J. Stroud with a ridiculously good performance. Nico Collins. Brevin Jordan had a 75-yard touchdown. This defense stopped Joe Flacco and the Browns, held them to only 14 points. They were amazing. They had two pick sixes last week. The Ravens are a different monster. Yeah, well, what what helps is when, you know, elite players like Miles Garrett that, you know, they, they make it to the playoffs and then they become elite actors. And Miles Garrett did his best impression of someone with no arms and no legs because that is about how effective he was against the Houston Texans. Yeah. Um, they did a great job of taking him out of the game, um, you know, big time. And like you said, Houston is just completely red hot right now. This this is not a team that Baltimore needs to underestimate whatsoever. Um, I, I would still, you know, overall give Baltimore the edge, but Houston has been tearing it up, especially, you know, the pick sixes against Flacco are brutal. Their their defense stepped up, you know, a lot too. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think when it comes to, like, how effective can the Texans be against the Ravens, I think seeing how well they played against the Browns' defense is a decent showing of what they can do. Obviously, the, the points were a little inflated because the Browns simply just did not play well on both sides of the ball. but when you look at how the Ravens defense and how the Browns defense played throughout the season, you see a lot of similarities. And the biggest X factor is the offenses on both sides. And both of those offenses are fantastic. The Ravens on a week of rest, likely still without Mark Andrews. If he does come back, it'll be next week. But the Ravens did wave Melvin Gordon and added Dalvin cook to their active roster. So you have a running back with experience, a running back that, is genuinely good. He just hasn't had many opportunities this season. And you add that to the roster. And then you kind of just factor in that the Ravens are just the topic of conversation at the moment. They are the talk of the town. 
We got reports coming out every day about something else about them. They they reportedly eat 30 to 60 Uncrustables every day. Uh, that equates to about 7,500 per season. That was a fantastic stat that came out this week. Um, you've like got, that. um, you know, they're hosting this game. They've got Jacoby Jones as the legend of the game there. They've got Cal Ripken Jr. as the honorary captain. Jimmy Eat World is going to perform at halftime. The... The nice. band most known like for that. the middle, um, but Are they there from is Baltimore. I have no idea. I don't know a single Jimmy Eat World song other than the middle. I don't either, but that song's fantastic. <laughs> Let's look up Jimmy Eat the World. They are. They were formed in Mesa, Arizona, the opposite side mm. of the country. Yeah. They also have a song called Pain. That I guess is uh, very good. Shout out Jimmy Eat the World. Yeah, shout out Jimmy Eat World. Very interesting Eat choice World. for a halftime show. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, back to the football. Uh, Marlon Humphrey is trending towards inactive. He's likely going to be out. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said earlier, Mark Andrews is close to being available. Likely, if they advance, he'll play next week. Um, he's very much doubtful this week yeah it's um it's gonna be a showdown i I mean you know i think this this texans team even supersedes the game it would have been if the browns were gonna play the ravens if it was an afc north divisional game well actually joe flacco would be playing against baltimore that i think joe flacco was a plant i think he was a plant by the ravens to to get the browns to the playoffs (laughs) and then knock them out he he may have been but um (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and give a final score prediction though, because I'm I'm ready. I, okay. I'm feeling confident. Um, uh, I mean, all in all, uh, fuck Baltimore. Uh, give me Houston 31, Baltimore 24. All right, man, that's a big upset because uh, Houston, yep. a nine point underdog in this game. Yeah, uh, I I'm think trying to the predict defense it. is gonna be a big factor here. Um. I'm going to go a little bit lower scoring, and I'm, I'm going to unfortunately stick with the Ravens here. Um, I'm going to take Baltimore 24, Houston 21. A close game, but I think Baltimore pulls it out. Yeah, I just um, really would like it if Baltimore uh, was not the team that was in the AFC Championship yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. Uh, but... I also had to factor in the fact that uh, the Texans are four and four on the road. Yeah. I mean, you know, Baltimore underrated fans over there, especially come playoff time. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. 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 They get, they get loud, but let's talk about, actually, I have an interesting stat about the fans in this game. Packers 49ers, the Packers absolutely dominate the Cowboys who then again, the Packers are just kind of the Cowboys kryptonite in the playoffs. But in Jerry World, a complete domination of the Cowboys. Mike McCarthy's keeping his job. Dak is not even a question. Um, but they get bounced again. Nick Foles has more playoff wins than Tony Romo and Dak Prescott combined. Oh, wow. Throw that one out there. Uh, but to the point of the fans at this game, Packers fans have a reputation of showing out in numbers at opposing stadiums. But from Vivid Seats stats, 
Their info says that 49ers fans have purchased 97% of the seats at Levi Stadium. Oh, no. That's <laughs> wild. That's an incredible. Yeah, it, it is genuinely crazy. And look, the 49ers are just a force. I will say, 5-3 yeah. and three at home for a 12-5 first seed in the NFC team isn't that impressive. And I feel like, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like 49ers don't have as big of a home field advantage as some of the other powerhouses in the NFL. Yeah, and that that was another team. I, you know, I with their history, they know what the playoff means. They know how significant this is. They're, I would say that they're more of a playoff home field advantage team. But to your point, and also I want to make a point here. uh, Now that I just thought about it. Five and three at home, you're going up against the Packers team that just they were the first team to beat Dallas in Dallas this season. Yeah, and they they didn't just beat them. They I mean they killed them. So you know I don't really think it matters to this Packers team where the game is going to be at. They they already have so much confidence right now off of that one win. Um, it's going to be another game. Like I know you know nine and eight is I think the worst looking record uh, next to the Buccaneers in the playoffs, but. 49ers can't fuck around. No. No, you <laughs> cannot. Because this Packers team's lethal. Jordan Love is fantastic. But I'd like to point out a common theme amongst the 49ers this week. It's been that Jordan Love, quote, does what he's coached to do. Kyle Shanahan and Nick Bosa have both kind of alluded to this. Nick Bosa was asked about Jordan Love, and he said, um, the Packers do a good job of coaching quarterbacks. You know, Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Famer and, you know, whatever. And he seemed to do things that he wasn't coached to do and said that Jordan Love does a good job at doing what he's coached to do. And he said that a lot of times you like that. I don't really know what that means, but Kyle Shanahan (laughs) kind of said something similar, just saying, like, Matt LaFleur is a great coach. He knows what he's doing with quarterbacks, and he's got a quarterback that will do what he is, you know, telling him to do I think Jordan Love has a bit of an X factor (laughs) I was about to say like I don't know whether Aaron Rodgers should take offense to this or Jordan Love it makes no sense to I I I genuinely don't know what their angle is with this but I saw two different press conferences and both of them make a very similar point and it's like I don't know if they're trying to throw shade at Jordan Love or for some reason Nick Bosa's trying to throw shade at, you know, Aaron Rodgers. But look, the reality of it all is that the 49ers are amazing. This team is undoubtedly the best. I, I think obviously yeah. between them and the Ravens, the Ravens technically had a better regular season. But the 49ers, Brock Purdy, has been fantastic. I know he had the spell. A short spell, but a, a, a dry spell for sure. Christian McCaffrey is undoubtedly the best running back in the NFL. And um, you have some solid fucking wide receiver play. Brandon Ayuk is amazing and had a fantastic year. Um, Debo Samuel is amazing. He also had a great year, really turned it up in the second half. George Kittle doing his thing as per usual. You have guys like Kyle Juszczyk that can be a weapon offensively, but he's also a huge asset when it comes to blocking, and the same goes for Kittle. The offense is amazing, and I haven't even said anything about their defense, which is 
absolutely ridiculous. The defensive line featuring, I think, four pro bowlers, not this season in particular, but in their careers, I believe all four of the guys on their defensive line have made a pro bowl. And then you look at the linebackers, Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. Fred Warner, a first-team All-Pro player this season and multiple times in the past. Dre Greenlaw, one of the best linebackers in the league, standing right beside him. Then you've got a guy like Javarius Ward. You have guys like Talanoa Hufanga. This 49ers team, on paper, on film, everything is amazing, and they almost seem unbeatable. But that's exactly what people were saying about the Cowboys at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a it's a yeah. weird dynamic. I will I do have to add this. The curse of Kirk Cousins. No team that's lost to Kirk Cousins uh, in the regular season has won the Super Bowl in the same year. 49ers. They're on upset watch for the rest of the year. Or the rest of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Um yep. also um, Jair Alexander's questionable. Had to throw that in there. Uh, that that would that's a big guy. You yeah. you need him in this game for sure. Yeah. Um, no, I mean you you just covered it. The 49ers are you know top to bottom just they're they're ridiculous. Everybody's a dog on their team. They they don't have anybody where you're looking at their name and you're like eh, I don't really know who that is. You, everybody knows who everybody is on the 49ers. Um, but you know to your point the the Packers are. I, I would say the hottest team in the playoffs right now with the with the significance of what they were able to do against Dallas. Yeah. Um especially with it being, you know, at home against a um home like a, you know, at home undefeated team. I guess I I'm fumbling on my words, but listen, this Packers team they they, they don't need to be, you know, looked over in any way. They they're, they're going to show out big time. Yeah, and, and Jordan Love is really good at mitigating, you know, mistakes too. He's not really a guy that throws a lot of picks or gets sacked often. I feel like he he stays definitely. pretty clean. Yeah, he's very good yeah. at extending a play. He's very good at just kind of, you know, making something out of nothing. So many passes where somebody's coming up in his face, he just kind of throws it off the back foot so he doesn't have to lean into the hit. Like he just kind of plays damage control when he needs to but simultaneously is dropping dimes down the field and, and, and throwing touchdowns. This game looks like it should be offensive. A 50-and-a-half er, uh, over-under, quite a high total in an NFL game, especially a playoff game. Obviously, they're showing that they trust both of these teams' offenses. They're not going to overvalue the 49ers' defense in this matchup. But I think this one's genuinely going to be a race to the finish. Obviously, the 49ers can get the stops that they need to win this game. The Packers obviously are a question mark just because of how high-powered the 49ers' offense is. Can the Packers make a couple of stops? Yes. Will they against such a great 49ers defense? And also, can the Packers get over this issue of never beating the 49ers in the playoffs? They literally... It's like we just talked about how the Packers are the Cowboys' kryptonite. The 49ers are the Packers' kryptonite. Yeah. <laughs> so Big time. It's a really tough call to me. I, I I hate to do this. I fall into the same trap with everything where I see that a team is just better and I've watched them all year play so well that I simply can't pick against them. I'm doing it again. <laughs> I'm going to take the 49ers 
Um, and uh, I'm gonna go 49ers 31, Green Bay 27. Listen, Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs. I'm interested to see. It's what all this set means. up. <laughs> it's all set up for him to go to the Super Bowl. Give me the Packers. 28-24. And, and what I mean by that is just get all the good teams out of the way so that way Patrick Mahomes can play the Panthers in the Super Bowl for all that really matters. Fair enough. That would have been interesting yeah, if that's the where Panthers I'm going. made the Super Bowl. But, no, truthfully, though, I, I really do think the Packers have a shot here, so I'm actually going to go with another upset. I think both the Ravens and the 49ers are going to lose this weekend. Yeah, I would also like to point out that everybody has given Brock Purdy glowing reviews for the season that he had this year. Um, 4,280 yards, 31 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Jordan Love, 4,159 yards, 32 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Just don't want people, don't want people to forget about Jordan Love because he had one hell of a year. Um, But let's go ahead and get into Sunday's games. We've got some good ones. 3 p.m. on NBC, Buccaneers-Lions. This one is interesting. The Lions fans seem to have thought that they won the Super Bowl last week. Talking to a Lions fan at work yesterday, and he was like, honestly, this season was a win. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you're still alive. Like, you still have a chance. You're playing a kind of bad team that you stomped early in the season. But he saw it as yeah. a win, and we've got – Stories coming out left and right here as well. David Montgomery was pumping gas this week, and a woman approached him in tears and thanked him for the playoff win. Wow. That's how it is in Detroit, man. These these people love their football. <laughs> I, I got to give it up to them, and so does this man. That's awesome. Uh, a, a, uh, an older Lions fan that's actually in hospice right now dyed his hair blue like Amon Ra St. Brown for the playoff run. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's genuinely fantastic. But you got to also talk about how the Buccaneers will struggle. This one reporter got it a little wrong about what they were going to struggle with when he asked Todd Bowles if the Bucks were prepared to play in the frigid Detroit weather, uh, to which Bowles oh, obviously responded, you do know we play indoors, right? Um, but yeah. I will say there is something to worry about with the uh, the situation they're being put into because Ford Field, last week, topped out at 133.6 decibels for the 24-23 playoff thriller on Sunday night against the Rams. And according to the team, that broke the old stadium record of 127.6. And also, 133.6 is equivalent to the sound of a jet engine. That is ridiculous. These Lions fans are um, insane. Yeah, and that that decibel mark was reached when they were uh, yelling at Matthew Stafford's children. Probably. Did you hear about that story too? Yeah. About how uh, Stafford's wife said that they were booing her kids, and it probably wasn't true. It probably wasn't. Um, yeah. I don't want to be crazy. a dick, but it does seem like Matthew Stafford's wife likes to fight a lot of fights for him. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is very weird like she gets brought up maybe too often like obviously if you're looking at like wives and girlfriends obviously taylor swift 
Brittany Mahomes. They're getting pop, more popular. Yeah, like uh, Kyle these people, uh, Yeah, wife, Kristen Yuschek. clothes and shit. Then again, her like her attention is well warranted because that is cool as shit. Oh, all the sure. clothes she makes are very cool. Um, but like it's just like all these people getting so much more attention, and like I like, um, I I don't remember her first name, but Matthew Stafford's wife is great. She went on a podcast that I listened to after um I think last season. Um, and like, she was great. She's funny. Um, she like has an entertaining personality. It's just kind of weird to see her like fighting with people on Twitter and like saying that Lions fans were booing her children. It's like, sometimes you just have to just shake that kind of stuff off. Cause it's going to happen. And yeah, I think most people accept that. I, I just, I don't know. I think she maybe is an exception. I don't know. Um, anyway, Tampa, 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 Detroit. Um, Tampa's coming off of a pretty awesome win. Uh, it was, it was one that we both predicted. Um, and it's, I, I mean, you know, despite everything that Philly was going through, I, I don't want to take anything away from Tampa either. Cause that, that's another team that's had to really grind to get into the playoffs. They, they've, you know, dealt with a lot of adversity and quite frankly, Baker Mayfield, it looks like he is taking his second shot in the NFL as serious yeah. as possible and really looks like he can be honestly a quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the rest of his career. I would not mind that at all. Yeah, he was fantastic last week. 337 and three touchdowns, no picks. Um, you know, the run game was pretty solid for Rashad White. He had 76 yards. And the biggest thing that I can compliment for Baker was he was spreading the ball around. Kate Otten led the team in receptions with eight. But David Moore got two receptions. He scored a touchdown. I think it was a 44-yarder. Trey Palmer had a 56-yard touchdown on his reception. Mike Evans got some receptions. Chris Godwin got some receptions. And he also didn't have a single guy that he targeted that didn't at least catch one pass. I love that for Baker because uh, quite often that happens. Yep, and James Bradbury, um, you can see him at your nearest grocery store uh, whenever you go at the checkout line. Um, cause yeah, damn, he was, bad. he was really bad. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah. And then, really, 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 you know, bad. of course the Eagles didn't have AJ Brown, but, uh, the Buccaneers defense certainly looked good. Only giving up nine points. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And how about Kate Otten having probably his career game in, in the playoffs against yeah. the Philadelphia Eagles. That's awesome. Um, and then I, I wanted to talk about the lions as well too. Uh, the Rams put up a really, really good fight against the lions. I, I was, I know I said I wanted to talk about Detroit just now, and I went straight into the Rams, but they they were the definition of up and down this yeah. year, and and they really put up a fight in their wild card game, and I I liked watching that. But um, it's even more fun to see the Lions keep winning though. It now is. now that the Steelers are out, I, I'm really I, I'm pulling for Detroit. I, I I'm all behind the Lions right now. Yeah. But um, yeah, they they look absolutely fantastic though. Um, there really isn't a an offensive aspect that I think they lack in when they're at their best. They, they probably could have had a better ground game against the Rams, but you know, with Aaron Donald in there and the rest of their good D linemen, it's going to be tough. So yeah, probably going to have it a little bit easier against Tampa Bay. I know Vita Bay is in there, but I, I, I think it'll be a little bit easier against Tampa. Um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be one of, it's going to be a better game than what people think. I, I think so as well. And, one factor that I think we certainly need to think about is the matchup of these two QBs. 
Jared Goff was like the model of you know efficiency last week. 22 for 27. I don't think he had an incompletion in the first half. Like I think he started off like 16 for 16. Something ridiculous. 14 for 16 Dang. maybe. 277, one touchdown. Um, you got sacked three times, but not really that bad. You get a rushing touchdown from both the running backs. You have a 100-yard game for Amon Ra St. Brown. You had 80 yards for Josh Reynolds in this game, and it got you 24 points. It got you the win. I still would have liked to see maybe a more explosive game out of a couple of these guys. Like, you you didn't have David Montgomery or Jameer Gibbs break off for a big run. Both of them, their longest runs were 11 yards. That is so out of the ordinary for those two. Yeah. Obviously, like we said, yeah. you know, the Rams do have a great running defense. But I I still would like to see more from the Lions. I know it's a big win. Obviously, emotions were certainly in play, considering it was Stafford's return. Um, but now it's just a matter of you've got the Buccaneers coming to town. I don't care what or who has connections between the two places. The Lions got to be out for blood this week. It, it can't be any kind of welcome back to Detroit. You, you need to ship their ass back home if you really want to uh, to show something to us. Yeah, and, you know, on top of that, I, I wanted to talk on the fact that, you know, Puka Nakua went off this game. Re- really, Stafford just went off this game. Baker Mayfield, I would say, where Baker Mayfield is now, compared to where Stafford is now, you know, getting a little bit up there in age, still able to have good games. They're very similar quarterbacks as far as the stats that they can put up. Yeah. And I, I would even argue that probably Baker has better weapons. He has a better tight end, in my opinion. He has two, you know, wide receivers that I would say are better than Cooper Cup this year. Maybe not Puka. Puka's, uh, <laughs> Puka's I, different. I would Puka's go ahead and say games. Puka would be the best receiver of the two teams. Yeah, uh, but I, I think overall, yeah. Tampa has better options to pass to. Um, yeah, no, th- this one, it, it's going to be a good game, but they Detroit really has to watch out for this Tampa offense because, you know, they can get going too. Yeah, time. and um, all right, this is the time that I break my streak. I know Tampa, or sorry, I know Detroit's favored by six and a half. Uh, I'm going to take Tampa in a pretty close one. Um, wow. And go uh, Tampa... 24 Detroit 23 I think the Bucks can get some big stops in the red zone this defense is very much capable of it and um I think you're going to see the Lions settling for some field goals that really hurt them down the down the stretch yeah I'm I'm gonna take Detroit 27 to 20 I love that we don't agree about a single one of these games I know. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, yeah. But our final game uh, on the schedule, a little bit earlier start than your typical Sunday night football. You got 6.30 p.m. on CBS for the Chiefs and the Bills, uh, uh, a matchup that is always must-watch no matter the, conse- or the consequences, the circumstances. Sorry, that would, the consequences would be. Brutal. (laughs) (laughs) But Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen, like, you know, just everything associated with this game is must-watch football. And it's certainly going to be must-watch. It's our our closest spread of the entire round at three. That's three and a half less point spread than the Lions-Buccaneers matchup. And the Bills are the three-point favorite. 
Uh, it's got the second lowest over under at 43 and a half. So they're factoring at 43 and a half is like where it should be. They're factoring in the defense is making stops. They're factoring in the offense is scoring points. I think this matchup might end up being the best of the bunch. Um, at least when it comes to a close, hard-fought game that really goes down the wire, I think this one has the best chance to. Yeah, you know, or it may not because it, I, yeah, I want to give my flowers to the. Yeah, I, I want to give my flowers to the Chiefs' defense because uh, man, they looked really good against Miami. I think um, you got to factor. I mean, in it the could weather. have been other factors. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was going to factor in the cold as well, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, they they only ran the ball 18 times and gave Raheem Mostert eight carries. Devon A-Chain was ineffective, literally, the yeah. whole game. Um, Tua, I might I might start pumping the brakes on Tua. Agreed. Tagovailoa, just as a quarterback in general. I, I still think he can be really good, just maybe not as good as I thought he was. Um, and, you know, you shut down Tyreek Hill at, at, against his old team as well. Um Probably one of the worst games Tyreek Hill has had this season, which is crazy because he still had five receptions over 50 yards and a touchdown. It's not bad at all. But when that's your best receiver, you know, you are you probably didn't score a lot. Um, and I, I don't know. It's it, it, I come keep coming back to this idea of Buffalo's offense being so reckless. If they look reckless against the Chiefs, you know, it could get ugly. But we've seen how this game goes in the past. So I'm actually going to go ahead and already give a score prediction. 42-38. Whoa. Kansas City. Whoa. That is yeah. a lot of points. It's a shit ton of points. Uh, but I, I, more, more kind of hoping it ends up that way. Okay. That, that would be interesting. Well, I got a little bit of, you know, breakdown to give before I give my final score. So first of all, the Chiefs all right. offense still isn't great. Um. Obviously, the conditions were a factor last week, but it wasn't great. You had essentially two key contributors, Rashi Rice and Jay, er, and uh, Isaiah Pacheco, and that's it. That is that was their offense last week. Patrick Mahomes didn't have uh, you know an outstanding game. Twenty three for forty one is simply not good enough for him, and six point four yards per attempt is also not good enough for him. Isaiah Pacheco, great game. High volume, but a great game. 24 carries, 89 yards, and a touchdown. Rashi Rice won a hell of a performance. Um, eight receptions and a touchdown for 130 yards. But, you know, Kelsey was certainly good. I'm not going to take that away from him, but it's it's not a, a Travis Kelsey playoff performance that we're used to. And then you literally got nothing out of anybody else. You got 20 yards out of Noah Gray. You got 20 <laughs> yards out of Justin Watson. And nobody else broke double digits. Like, even the Miami receiving core seemed to play better outside of Rashi Rice. And, and Tua didn't even break 200 passing yards. But Obviously, the Chiefs' defense is huge. It is genuinely great. Legereus Sneed has played some of the best coverage that I've seen out of any corner this season. Probably the best corner in coverage this season. Um, but he just has simply locked down number one wide receivers throughout the league all season. He also has his struggles. Even, uh, Harry Kill tweeted about him, too. Yeah. That he locked him up. Yeah. Legereus Sneed is a demon. We'll say, not the best tackler, uh, but as long as he doesn't let the ball into your hands, it's not really a big issue. Um, oh, man. 
so cornerbacks and tackling. Yeah. Uh, but I'd like to talk <laughs> and kind of hype up the Bills here because since that loss to the Eagles, that three-point loss uh, field goal as time expired, I believe, um, they've beaten the Chiefs on the road. They beat the Cowboys at home. They beat the Chargers, the Patriots, and then they beat the Dolphins at Miami to win this division to get the number two seed. The turnaround they have had is amazing. They lost week one to the Jets who didn't have Aaron Rodgers all game. They lost to the Jags, and they lost to the Patriots as well. They also lost to the Bengals and Broncos. But you lost to the Patriots, Jets, and Jaguars in the first, like, eight weeks of the season. Yeah. That's absurd. And now they're at this point. They got the same record as the Chiefs in the regular season. They both advance into the second round of the playoffs, and now it's a discussion of who's going to win. I think the Bills just kind of have it all. Yes, the passing game hasn't been phenomenal because Stephon Diggs seems to be having a down year, but he's found a a place in kind of a different role at wide receiver. He's not going for the deep ball anymore, and I think it's also helping out Josh Allen's numbers for Stephon Diggs to be a screen team. guy. And that also I bodes that well team. against Legereus Sneed. Legereus Sneed's yeah. going to thrive in coverage. If you catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage every single time and you've got a wide receiver or a tight end blocking for you, you have a much better chance of getting through this defense. And Stefan Diggs has the skills to do so. I think he's going to be a big part of this team. And obviously, James Cook is phenomenal. This guy has genuinely turned a 360 since what we saw out of him in his first season in the NFL. He was just kind of, uh, you know, didn't get the usage he deserved, uh, you know, kind of leading up to this season, but we knew he was going to be number one this year, and he's proved it. He had over 1,000 rushing yards, and um, two touchdowns rushing is very bad, but um, it's the receiving game that he gets his his touchdowns in, and it's a game changer for them every week. Yeah. So that, that was me joking about giving a score prediction. Cause uh, <laughs> I, I did want to, I did want to break down uh, Buffalo and Steelers. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to talk about my team in Buffalo here. Um, I, I, the score line really doesn't reflect how close the Steelers actually kept this Agreed. game. Um, I want to give Buffalo all their flowers, especially Josh Allen. I'm the, he hit, I don't even remember who it was, but like he hit one of our players with some like half fake slide, half like yabba dabba do, like <laughs> hezzy, and just ran around him for a touchdown. He, Josh, I would, I, hot take, I would argue Josh Allen is a more effective quarterback when he runs than Lamar Jackson because I have never, ever seen a quarterback like Josh Allen put his head down and genuinely be a threat to, like, run the first guy he sees over. The problem is is he's effective now, but wait until he gets fucking hurt. Because Lamar has kind of mitigated that. He's, mm. He has stopped rushing the ball quite as much, and he still had over 800 rushing yards this season. I'm not saying he doesn't run the ball. But what I'm saying is that yeah. he's he's keeping himself safe. He's not trying these ridiculous moves to get around people. And it's it's helping him. He actually lasted this season. He didn't get hurt this year, which is a big step and, for Lamar Jackson. For Josh Allen, 
it seems like every couple weeks we're getting a fucking slow-mo video of all of his bones <laughs> being pushed through him and back into his body. Like, it, it is ridiculous the hits he takes. And big ups to him for getting through it and staying in the games. But that's how you turn into Drew Brees and you're fucking grabbing at your ribs after every single throw. Like, that kind of <laughs> shit happens. And it, it, maybe it's not going to yeah. happen this year, but next year or the year after that, you're going to get an injury, and it's going to stop you from running the ball, and it's going to really hurt when you try to throw the ball. Yeah, I, and I, I'll, I'll actually I'll reel back that hot take because I, the main point that I wanted to get at is they're they're just very different. They're both yes. effective in their own yes. way. Um, but I, I like the I like Josh Allen's ability to run through people. But yeah, to your point, we'll see where he's at in like four or five years um, yeah. of consistently doing that. Um. And and I wanted to go back to the point that you made because you you could not have said it better about Stefan Diggs. Look, he you know is always been touted as one of the best wide receivers as far as stats and just pure you know ability when you watch him on the field. You know the stuff that isn't a number. But you know this season it, it's been different for him. And what we've seen out of Stefan Diggs is that he was kind of there at the beginning of the season. You know it, it was normal for him, normal wide receiver play, but the team was kind of struggling. Then it looked like for maybe four weeks, he kind of just regressed into having no real role at all in this offense. And then, like you said, he's found a new way to become effective in their system without having to have, you know, 10 receptions for 110 yards and a touchdown. You know, he can be kind of more of a short route guy, just more of like a safe option. And you let Dalton Kincaid, you know, do all your touchdowns for you. Yeah. Um, which, which I like. I, I like Buffalo's ability to adapt to that. Um, and now I'm going to give my real score prediction. I, I think it's time now. All right. So I don't want the Chiefs to win at all. I, I, I'm just kind of bored of them, um, even even with Buffalo knocking my team out. Um, 42-38 Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so he he pulled a switch on us, and he just simply wanted to talk more, uh, and then give the same exact prediction. Uh, I'll go ahead and give yeah. my first prediction and only prediction. Um, I'm gonna take the Buffalo Bills, um, and I'm gonna go thirty-one twenty-eight. I like that. Um, I I you know kind of looking at the Chiefs right now. You know who's really just very underrated? Rushy Rice. <laughs> I was going to say Karlaftis. Oh, yes. George Karlaftis is, kind of a is so underrated. Yeah, and, you know, going back to Chiefs defense, even though we already gave our score prediction, I, I just really I, I want to give them flowers because they're not just an offense team. And I would no. say even, you know, the past season, their defense has probably been their, you know, stronger point. And, you know, Chris Jones, George Karlaftis, and Nick Bolton there at middle linebacker. And like you said, Legereus Sneed, it's, you know, they have some dogs there. Uh, and they're all underrated. Nobody ever talks about those guys. Yeah. Yeah. The the I only like. ones that get talked about are obviously Chris Jones. But then, you know, Legereus Sneed gets his flowers, you know, every, every now and then, at least this past season. But, yeah, Nick Bolton gets no appreciation. He's fantastic. Easily the best player yeah. to come out of the University of Missouri. Um, and then uh, yeah, George Carloftis yeah. is it's not Drew Locke. phenomenal. It's not Drew Locke, and it's not uh, 
who's the other one? Brady Cook, I think, or Chase Daniel. Yeah, Chase Daniel, I think, went to Missouri. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I that was the no, next that was guy fine. I could think of. Uh, but <laughs> that is all for the NFL divisional round. I am very much looking forward to it. But let's go through and talk about the NFL AP All-Pro first team. This one, there's some controversy um, in a couple of different positions, it appears. Uh, some people not too happy with uh, some of the starters. So we'll go through and just kind of give our opinions uh, in each position. So your first team All-Pro quarterback, Lamar Jackson. I'm cool with it. I think that one makes sense to me. Um, yep. And then Christian McCaffrey at running back. Nobody else could be up there. Of course. There. Uh, fullback, <laughs> Kyle Juszczyk. Nobody else could be there. Tight end is where it gets a little interesting to me. George Kittle. Now, I, I understand they're going to factor in more than just the receiving yards. I would argue Sam Laporta. I would argue Trey McBride, Hawkinson. even. Um, yeah. He was fantastic. Um, Hawkinson, like you said, it was great. I think there was better players. I think the problem is they're factoring in blocking as well. Um, and, and that's where George yeah. Kittle beats out everyone. Um, yeah, which so is I can understand crazy. it, but I do think that one is actually up for discussion. And also at fullback, yeah, just to shout him out, Alec Ingold of the Dolphins was fantastic this year at fullback. Okay. And fullback then your three wide receivers, Tyreek Hill, C.D. Lamb, and Amon Ross St. Brown. Now, Amon Ross St. Brown is the wide receiver three on the APL Pro first team. But he didn't make the Pro Bowl. Now, how does that make any sense? Uh, he didn't get voted, man. <laughs> that is insane because I 100% agree with this. Tyreek Hill and CeeDee Lamb are the top two. And then Amon Ross St. Brown, um, in my mind, was the third best wide receiver this season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you could also make a case for Puka, of course. Um, you could even talk, you know, Brandon Ayuk had a great year. Um, you know, quite a few other guys as well could be up there. But, uh, yeah, that'd be my three for sure. Um, I don't have any particular uh, way to go with the offensive line. Uh, but I'll go ahead and read it off. Uh, left tackle, Trent Williams, duh. Um, left guard, Joe Thune, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, sure. Center, who else? Jason Kelsey. Uh, <laughs> uh, right guard, Zach Martin, of course, who else? Uh, and then your right tackle, Panay Sewell, of the Detroit Lions, who was absolutely fantastic this year. Um, I, honestly, I know nothing I think... about left guards uh, personally. I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't even name one. Uh, at the moment. Yeah. I, I think you could have found a better left guard and right tackle. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at the I think Panay Sewell was very good. Um, I think, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to be... Actually, no. No, never mind. I was about to try and make a case for Caleb McGarry, but that's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's a good list, though. These are yeah. all... Very I think, good players, I think especially Lindstrom, left tackle center. I think Chris Lindstrom should get some some appreciation. He is a pro bowler, but um, 
He was very good this season. Uh, right guard. Yeah. The Steelers should get the opposite of appreciation. <laughs> Their offensive line. Yeah, it was a brutal one for the Steelers. But yeah. let's flip over to the defense. Um, your edge rushers, Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. How? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's the way to go. Other than the fact that Miles Garrett sucked the whole like the last like seven games of the season. Yeah. Um. I mean, there there was I I feel like there was one more guy. It wasn't Hutchinson. It wasn't Crosby. There was one other guy that had a lot of sacks as an edge rusher. I thought, or just another guy that was good. I'm gonna see if I can find it. Yeah. My phone. Uh. Leaders. Hmm. Uh, Trey Hendrickson had 17 and a half sacks this season. Max okay. Crosby yeah, that's... had 14 and a half. I think you could make a case for both of them. Same for Montez Sweat. Yeah. Jonathan Grenard. I think all of them have a great case. Obviously, TJ is for sure. Um, but I think Miles Garrett is questionable. Yeah. I, I, but I mean, his end of the season stats, you know, r- regardless of even how he played at the, you know, end of the season, like what he finished with was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 14 sacks, four forced fumbles, um, even had three interceptions. <laughs> or no, sorry, three passes yeah. defended, not interceptions. Um, <laughs> that would have been ridiculous if he had three interceptions. Uh, Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I, I think personally I would have gone Trey Hendrickson over Miles Garrett. But I don't know. Yeah. I'm not I, I don't write for the Associated Press. Um <laughs> another guy in the AFC North, too. <laughs> uh your interior lineman, uh Aaron Donald and Chris Jones. I don't yeah. I don't know, I guess. <laughs> it's hard to pick against the two <laughs> yeah. best. Like yeah. You know, what is there to say about those two? Like, nobody else is ever better. I think Justin Madubike from Baltimore certainly has a claim for it. Um, I think maybe Quincy Williams. I don't know how good he's been this year. Uh, Quentin Williams? Or not, uh, yeah, yeah, Quincy's a linebacker. Quincy's a linebacker. Yeah, linebacker. Uh, I think Zach Seiler was very good this season. Yeah, from the Dolphins. He had a good year. Um, Ed Oliver had a good year. I, 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 I think yeah. sometimes, and I I think people just take the easy route of just saying Aaron Donald is always one of the best defensive tackles. I understand that he is amazing and he gets double teamed at all times, but like there's been plenty of times where like somebody plays better than him and they simply don't get the attention that he gets. Yeah, often. And I don't know, I think that's kind of unfair because – like like I said, Zach Seiler and Justin Madubike got no attention this season, and Justin Madubike was tenth or in in the top ten in sacks. Aaron Donald yeah. only had eight sacks this season. Yeah, he, he didn't I mean, even have the most sacks on their team. Kobe Turner, yeah, it's the guy next to him had more. <laughs> Damn, I just uh, I don't know. I think I think it's a little questionable. Um, to be giving Aaron Donald that much love when there's that many other great players at his position. Yeah, definitely. Once again, I don't write for the Associated Press. Um, 
But your linebackers, Fred Warner, as he does, as the 49ers in general do. i got a stat here. The 49ers have 25% of the first-team All-Pro linebacker selection since 2007. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You got uh, Fred Warner hey. is now a three-time. Patrick Willis. Yeah. Patrick Willis, five times. Navarro Bowman, four times. And Alden Smith, one time. Oh my um, God, Navarro Bode! I I haven't heard that name in so long. Yeah, Navarro Bowman Damn. was a dog. That took me back. And then yeah. the other guy, what didn't the other guy get in trouble? Like, didn't he do something really bad? Like, Alden ruined his Smith? whole career. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's got legal trouble or something. Could be the case. No, I don't. I don't think this is the same guy because Alden Smith. Um, I think he does just like some some normal ass stuff. Uh, oh, never mind. Yeah, no, he went to jail. For rear-ending somebody. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was a DUI as well. It's not uh, that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That's very bad. Hope everybody yeah, knows. Don't that. drink and drive. Correct. Mm. Uh, but yep. your next if you want to be in, well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna nope. say that. I'm not gonna nope. say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't drink and drive. Your next linebacker is Roquan Smith of the Baltimore Ravens. Once again. This just seems right. Roquan yeah, was um, so good. Is he still the highest paid linebacker in the league? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Well, I mean, he wouldn't. I'm sure when Fred Warner, you know, gets his contract, he'll make yeah. more than Roquan. But um, yeah, no, Roquan deserves it. Um, definitely one of my favorite players um, on a rival team. Um, yeah, he's annoying to be in the division with definitely. us. He is a... Bad motherfucker. Yeah. Coverage, blitzing, you know, just run stopping in general. He he can do it all. Yeah, and then our third linebacker, a guy you accidentally said uh, for a different position, but Quincy Williams of the New York Jets uh, made it. He, yeah, and he had one hell of a year. I, I've really liked to see – I've liked to watch – that's the word I need, watch how his career has grown. Um, yeah. Yeah, he, he's blossoming big time. Yeah, so I, I think something that – at least what I've noticed, the first team, all like the all-pro first team, often gets wrong is linebackers that that do a lot of edge rushing. <laughs> they yeah. almost never make it because if you look at the top guys, they consider T.J. Watt a defensive end, and so they put him there, but his position is technically outside linebacker. Yeah. The same goes for Jacksonville's Josh Allen. Khalil Mack is the same way. Daniel Hunter, Micah Parsons, Kayvon Thibodeau, Hassan Reddick, Bradley Chubb. All those guys were phenomenal this season. And none of them to be found. Like Josh Allen for yeah. Jacksonville had 17 and a half sacks this season. Khalil Mack not only was fantastic pass rushing, he had 17 sacks. He had 10 pass deflections. Damn. Like Khalil Mack drops back in coverage, and I don't think people notice that. Nah, and he got that's... no recognition this season. Well, d- didn't he also have a game where he had like four or five sacks? Yeah, too? four sacks in one game. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I've uh, yeah, 2024, uh, 2023. Khalil Mack has been he's been crazy because yeah. like I I honestly thought he was on the decline for a while, uh, but this season he's, I mean, back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> He's been fantastic. That's awesome. Uh, but let's get into the secondary, the corners. 
Deron Bland and Sauce Gardner. No Legereus Sneed. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. No Legereus um, Sneed is actually criminal. I understand Deron Bland. You lead in interceptions. You set a record for pick sixes in one season. Sauce Gardner got cooked on multiple occasions this season. Yeah. Um, he certainly took a little bit of a step back from his rookie season, and considering how goddamn good Legereus Sneed was this season, it is criminal to leave him off. Yeah, Jesse Bates is second and short. Um, second and short's a new favorite player to get on our knees for. It's not Sauce Gardner anymore. Yeah, that's true. And um, <laughs> hint, we're not gonna have to say his name here, but I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> just to uh, preview that. But yeah, look, Deron Bland was ridiculous. Sauce was okay. It's honestly, he was okay. Um, but. Oh, I just noticed the safeties. Yeah, oh crazy. my god, absolutely that's egregious! Absurd. Holy absurd. shit! Um, All right, <laughs> slot cornerback. Who's I mean, Trick McDuffie? Hold on, hold on. Let's, I, I, let's, I've heard stuff about him. I okay. would like to talk about some of the corners that could have made it. Um, oh, that's right. Just in regular yeah, coverage. Yeah. So, um, Razul Douglas, great year. Um, he had five interceptions, fourteen passes defended. Um, even out of pick six, pretty big one too. Three fumble recoveries as well. Um, Traverius Ward had a fantastic year. Derek Stingley Jr. had a very underrated good year as well. Um, those are kind of the notable guys uh, that I feel got left off at corner. Um, I, I would add Jalen Johnson. Agreed. From the yeah, Bears. Uh, he was he, great. He really stepped it up this year too. Um, yeah, according to PPF, um, Sauce Gardner is still the best corner in the league. And Jalen yeah. Johnson was number two, actually. Interesting. I don't trust PPF. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and talk about it. So, J.J. Watt, absolutely shit on PPF uh, today. Uh, not only on the Pat McAfee show, but on Twitter as well. Uh, because C.J. Stroud, I think he had a 77.2 PFF grade. Um, oh my god yeah which is insane because jj watt is out here just absolutely slamming it meanwhile uh bobby slowick who is the offensive coordinator for the texans um literally worked at pff and helped them create the scoring of a quarterback for pff um oh damn yeah <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny uh but i definitely agree with jj watt he said like if you look at what PFF grades a guy and what a coach grades a guy or like a scout, like a guy that has perennially brought in first round picks to a team. They are huge discrepancies. Yeah. Um, and we, I remember we, you and I talked about this very early on in, uh, in second and shorts yeah. life, but we it, PPF is one of the most PFF. in-depth, like PFF, I did, uh, I, I did that before. Yep. PFF <laughs> is one of the most in-depth, like statistical databases that yes. the NFL has, and it's really like the only one. It is it is unbelievably hard? Like I, you guys don't understand when Grayson and I, you know, make notes and try to find stats. You, there are just some stats that you would think would be right there in front of you, but they're just not for yeah. some reason with football. And I feel like PFF just gets relied on too hard by everybody because it's really the they're the only one of their kind they're the only people that do what yeah. they do because like nfl next gen stats is annoying. great 
but there's not enough that's readily available. Like the stuff that's public is exactly. is primarily game by game, and it's not as easy to access as just looking at PFF. Also, PFF ridiculous paywall. Um, considering almost yes. every other sport, you can see whatever advanced stats you'd like straight through. You know, reference. Uh, you know, sports reference, whatever sport it is. Um, you know, you have things for baseball, like baseball savant that literally has every single stat you could ever fucking imagine. Um, you have fan graphs, you have baseball reference, like the NBA, there are multiple, multiple stats that you can find through multiple different stat websites for basketball. But for some reason, football literally has two and it's one that's run by the NFL and one that is PFF that works alongside the NFL. So, I'll get off my soapbox about PFF, um, and we'll go to the slot corner. Trent McDuffie, like you said earlier, it's a great pick. I like it. Yeah, Trent McDuffie yeah. was great this season. I'm a fan. Um, yeah. Maybe Mike Hilton. Maybe. Um, he wasn't fantastic. Uh, definitely not as good as he was last year. Um, I will say that, but he did have a good year. Um trying to think it's so hard to figure out who's the slot corner and who's not i don't really pay yeah, attention pl- to players that. move around yeah <laughs> um uh, so i'm just gonna go ahead and agree i'm gonna just agree yeah. with trent mcduffie i know he had a good year let's talk about the safeties <laughs> all right i love the afc one agreed kyle hamilton no problem with that amazing antoine winfield okay sure i like he was good was he better than Jesse Bates? No. He just simply wasn't. I don't I don't know what else there is to say about that, but I just I don't think he was. Nah, um I'm completely there with you. Uh, Jesse Bates, you know, first first time um, you know, with the Falcons first season and was elite. I I would probably I would go as far as to say one of the best just defensive backs, safeties and corners. He was yeah. probably top two, top three at the least. I, I personally, I think he was the best. But um, yeah, I mean, when you know, Anton Winfield Jr. is not a bad safety. He's been no. consistent in the no. league for multiple years, just like Jesse Bates. But Jesse Bates was, in my opinion, literally head and shoulders of every other safety in the NFC. Yeah. Yeah, and I know we we probably shouldn't go off of counting stats, but like Jesse Bates had three forced fumbles, six interceptions, eighty nine solo tackles, and eleven passes defended. Antoine Walker had seventy six solo tackles, which, in case anybody's not aware of how counting works, is thirteen less. Um, he had. Uh, Antoine Winfield had three more forced fumbles, but Jesse Bates had three more interceptions. Jesse Bates was third in interceptions in the league. He was ninth in solo tackles. And he had 11 pass deflections, whereas Antoine Winfield only had one more. Obviously, I feel like I'm just being biased, being like, well, duh, Jesse Bates is better. Like, It's not even that. It's just that you can look at multiple things objectively and see that Jesse Bates just appeared to have had a better season. Yeah. Definitely. So, I, don't I, know. Mean, I, I think he's the and, one with the biggest claim to it. Um, you know, 
otherwise there's there's multiple other guys that certainly you know deserve some props uh Geno Stone of the Ravens was very good um you also had uh Cameron Bynum of the Vikings was really good this season um Darwin James was you know good per usual not his best season uh Julian Love for Seattle great um Kevin Byard despite the struggles of that Eagles defense. Um, you know, he was great in Tennessee. He was great uh, once he got to Philly as well. Um, there's a number of other guys I could talk about. Cameron Curl for Washington was great. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised to not see Jesse Bates, uh, you know, on the first team. Jordan Whitehead. Yeah, um, I – well. I would even give it to, you know, other guys like Jabril Peppers. I liked what I saw yeah. out of him this season. Um, I would say um, Minka, but Minka had a little bit of an off year that also is filled with injuries as well. Yeah. I mean, Minka's still good for us, but on a league level, maybe not him this season. Um, Javon Holland on the Dolphins was really, really impressive this year too. Um, yeah, those that's, that's it for me. That's yeah. the only players I would add. And if it was based on who hits the hardest, Kareem Jackson should make it. Um. <laughs> Monte Casey. Yeah. Just ask Michael Pittman. Yeah. Yeah. Kareem Jackson has plenty of victims um, that you could ask. But on uh, on special teams, uh, your place kicker, Brandon Aubrey, who I'm pretty sure as a rookie didn't miss a field goal. Um, that's amazing. And then uh, oh, yeah. your punter, A.J. Cole of the Raiders, he certainly got his opportunity a lot. Uh, <laughs> he got his number called quite a few times. Um, Definitely. And he was he was very good. I'll, I'll give him that. And then uh, kick returner, Keyshawn Nixon, who is a dog on kick return for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, your punt returner, uh, Rashid Shahid, once again, dog. I like that. Uh, just special teamer in general. Miles Killebrew of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Shout out. And then uh, long yeah, snapper, he's solid. Ross Matisic. Don't know how to say that. He plays for the Jags. Uh, and I don't want to go through the second team, so we're not. But Dak's the quarterback. Dak Prescott. <laughs> Kyron yeah. Williams, too. Yeah, Kyron was That's... insane. He played 12 games. It was third in rushing yards. Damn. Yeah, he was insane <laughs> all year. Uh, also, Jesse Bates did make the second team. Um, but like I said, we're not talking about the second team. So we'll talk about something that, honestly, I, I'm i going to be – this was a very hard list to put together. And that would be our top five center fielders in 2023. Um, I'm going to go and say it. I think both of us are going to have very different lists. Maybe not, like, at the top. Like, the top three might be the same guys in a different order. But it's going to be interesting. I'll just yeah. leave it at that. Do you have a rookie at number five? I do. Okay, so we probably have the same guy there. We might. Uh, and I'll go ahead and start. My guy is James Altman. Yeah. Is that who you had? Nice. Yeah. Um. He was real close to not making that, it. I will say that. 
Same. <laughs> just for me, it was um, for me, it was like the, the batting average that I got hung up on. But I remember something that a little birdie told me probably like a year ago. And that birdie was you, Grayson. Yeah. And batting average really doesn't even matter. Um, nope. Unless you're John Carlos Stanton, then everybody talks about his batting average. Well, because he doesn't get on base. But, you know, that's just, <laughs> uh, he's just really just just stands there. Anyway, uh, James Outman still uh, 23 home runs, 70 RBI, um, 437 slugging. Um, OPS almost to 800, which I thought was really good. Um, uh, uh, on base percentage that was higher than a couple guys that made my list, like higher than Julio Rodriguez. Yeah. Well, I guess I just told you someone else that was on my list, but that, my I thought that was a uh, note. <laughs> um, but what really got me with James Altman, and this is why I picked him at number five, is that 4.0 F war defender. He was. Yeah. absolutely amazing and the fact that he was a rookie kind of boosted him in my books too i just thought he had a phenomenal season and i really didn't hear about him until i made this list so, yeah he started um, off real hot solid. like he was hitting a home run every single week it seemed like at least a couple of them every week for the dodgers the home runs really slowed down but he still ended the season with 23 uh he had 70 rbis he had 16 stolen bases which wasn't horrible the thing that really shied me away and, and maybe even bumped him down to five in the first place was going to be the strikeout percentage. Obviously, he showed that he's a young player. A 31.9% strikeout percentage is genuinely abysmal. Uh, that's that's Kyle Schwarber numbers right there. Uh, for reference, <laughs> he's very close to Kyle Schwarber. But what kind of reeled him back in from dropping out of the top five is the fact that he walked 12% of the time, and that's better than all four guys I have ahead of him. Um, he plays plus defense. According to Fangraph's defensive uh, statistic, he's the second best in my top five at defense, and a 4.4 F4 is outstanding. Um, he was also a 5.7 base runner uh, based on Fangraph's uh, base running runs above average. So he was fantastic this season. And a 118 WRC plus for a rookie is amazing once again. So, yeah, I had to had to put James Outman here. Arguably, he probably could have been number four, but um, I really liked what I saw out of the guy that I have at number four. Okay, so... I I think we I I'm I'm betting this now we have the same exact list so I'm gonna go into my number four because mine was really close too between James Outman and Brandon Nimmo who made my number four spot of the New York Mets and Grayson's already shaking his head I'm not but, putting a Met um, on this well, fucking list who do you think I am <laughs> a Braves fan anyway um so Brandon Nimmo made my list I thought he was really really solid offensively he had a 274 batting average uh, 363 OBP um. 466 slugging and an OPS about 830. 24 home runs, 68 RBI, not that much, or not that, you know, much compared to really the rest of the people on my list. But um, the only thing that I had him in question with is James Outman's defensive ability and Brandon Nimmo's offensive ability, which one I valued the, the most there. And I ended up going with Brandon Nimmo just because his numbers offensively were really good, in my opinion. Um, but he, I, I want to note that he is really not the best defensive center fielder in the yeah. league. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, my number four is actually TJ Friedel of the Cincinnati Reds. He had a amazing season. He only hit 18 home runs, but he's not a power guy. Um, didn't even hit in like a good part of the lineup. So he wasn't really creating a lot of RBIs, but he scored 73 runs and he only played 138. Uh, but he stole 27 bases, which is amazing. He walked 8.5% of the time, which 
isn't fantastic, but when you pair that with a strikeout percentage of only 16.2%, and then you throw in his on-base percentage of 352, slugging of 467, and a batting average of 279, um, which is 31 percentage points above James Outman. Um, he's got a 9.1 base running, um, uh, you know, base running runs above average, and then you throw in a 4.4 F4, the same as James Outman. He plays a little worse defense, I think quite a bit better offense, just in a smaller sample size than James Outman. So, uh, yeah, I really like TJ Friedel this season. He was great um, and definitely an underrated part of Cincinnati Reds playing pretty well for most of the season. That was a good pull there because I thought about him too. Um, I have, I have for my five, number three, I have like four honorable mentions. I had to make a list of five people to, or a list of six people to decide four and five. <laughs> oh shit. Well, all right, we'll get into that afterwards. Uh, but I, my, my number three, Cody Bellinger, um, damn, what a season he had 307 yeah. batting average, uh, slugging over 500 OBP at around 350 and an OPS over 880. Uh, which actually led all center fielders uh, in OPS for Cody Bellinger. It was a uh, uh, 881, I believe. Um, and then you go to you know kind of more of the the hard stats here. So your home runs, he had 26 of. Personally, I'd like to see more of, but you know he he went through a a big mechanical change season this year, and I feel like that's kind of where that comes from. 97 RBIs though, which is impressive, and you know still 20 stolen bases, which I thought was worth mentioning, but. What really separates Cody Bellinger is not only all of those offensive stats, you know, the OPS that leads all center fielders. He also was a an above 4.0 F4 defender, um, which I, I feel like probably isn't talked about a lot with him. So, yeah, all in all, he was uh, he made my top three. He was my third guy. Gotcha. So my third guy is actually Luis Ro- uh, Robert Jr. Robert, whatever you want to call him. I think he was amazing this season, but when you put him up against the likes of Cody Bellinger I just don't think he was quite the consistent player that I'd like to see especially when it comes down to the center field position I want a good base runner a consistently on base kind of guy and Luis Robert just simply doesn't get on base enough he only walks five percent of the time that's the lowest of my top five and he strikes out 28.9% of the time, that's the second highest of my top five. His ISO, you know, isolated power, fantastic. He is an amazing power hitter, 38 homers, 90 runs, 80 RBIs. He even had 20 stolen bases. And he plays a pretty solid defense in center field. He just simply doesn't get on base enough in my eyes. Um, And when I look at the model of, you know, what a center fielder, you know, what center fielder I'm looking for in the MLB. Obviously, I'm going to compare these guys with the likes of Mike Trout. Obviously, Mike Trout missed way too much time this season uh, and was not eligible to make this list. But I look for guys that go out there, they get on base, they hit for a good mixture of power and contact, they have a great glove in center field, and I simply just don't think I check all those boxes for Luis Robert. All right, well... I'm going to take Luis Robert at number two. I, I've always said Robert. So I do go, too, uh, and sometimes direction. I just say Robert. Yeah, it, it just doesn't feel right. feels like you should have, you know. Yeah, I hesitate every time I, I do it. 
<laughs> but I, anyway, I, all of the the negatives that you brought up were definitely fair points. He he is a he's a different center fielder. But yes. here's what had him at number two for me: thirty eight home runs, which was twelve more than Bellinger. Eighty RBI, which was less. But you know, when you play on the White Sox, it's kind of hard to you know score your teammates in when you don't have any. Um, 20 stolen bases, uh, which I still thought was solid for a player like him, 264 batting average, a 542 slugging, and an 857 OPS. But what separates him from me, um, and I, I've said this about a couple guys, but just, you know, the amount of home runs, 38 home runs. So he's obviously producing a lot offensively for this team, even though he's really the only one trying, playing, whatever you want to call it. But that 4.6 F war from him, is incredible. He was the second F, highest F war on my team, and I just thought, you know, comparing those offensive stats with his F war at four point six was enough for me to put him above Bellinger at number two. Got it. so you keep saying F war. That would be Fangraphs war, correct? Yes. Why are we getting different numbers for their war? <laughs> are we? Uh, I've got Luis Robert at a 5.0 F4. Oh. I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to check my sources after after it. we So anyway, high F4. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so my number 2 is Cody Bellinger. Um to me when you consider that Cody played 15 less games and um recorded more runs uh, 17 more RBIs, same amount of stolen bases, walked more, struck out half as much uh, as Luis Robert, got on base 356. Uh, that's the best of my top five. Had the uh, second best slugging of my top five at 525 uh, and significantly the best batting average at 307. Um, you factor in that he was a, a plus base runner. Not the best glove, but he also has the disadvantage of commonly playing first base um you know he had 84 starts in center field the rest of his starts at first base this season I think that hurts him um when you just don't have a full sample size in center field but overall you know he kind of just did his thing and I think he was phenomenal uh so yeah I, I went ahead and just put Cody Bellinger at two all right, that's nice. That's nice. So we we know number one, one is. I think that's pretty yeah. Nice. My my best center fielder of the league was Julio Rodriguez, Mister J Rod himself. Um, two seventy five batting average, uh, a really high OBP at three thirty three, OPS at um, eight eighteen. Personally, I would like to see that a little bit higher. I, I don't know why Cody Bellinger, out of all players, should be getting you there, but you know that's just me. Um. 32 home runs, though, 103 RBI, 37 stolen bases, 71 extra base hits, and then I have him at a 5.9 F war, okay, which led all center fielders yep, in 2023. Well. So, yeah, yeah it, I mean, he plays what by else far. Is yeah, he plays by far the best offense. If you look at Fangraph's offensive rating, he was a 29.4. If you look at defense, he was kind of middle of the pack there at a 5.1. I test watching Julio Rodriguez play center field is fantastic. He has the reactions. He can cover so much ground. It is ridiculous. And then you watch him at the plate. He's smart. You know, he 
yeah, he strikes out just about 25% of the time. He makes up for it by still getting on base a third of the time. That's fantastic. And when you can factor in the fact that, like you said, he had a shit ton of extra base hits. He had a shit ton of home runs this season, and he creates runs, and he almost stole 40 bases. This kid had one hell of a season and some legendary stretches throughout the season that really boosted him up. But, yeah, I, I got to give my props to Julio Rodriguez. He was the best center fielder this season. Yeah, and the the Mariners got a good one in him. They they really just have a good thing going over there in Seattle. Definitely. Uh, honorable mentions, uh, I'll start with Brenton Doyle. He, if you go look at Fangraph's defensive stat, he was so by far the best center fielder. It is ridiculous. Uh, I got to pull up the number. Yeah, if you go and you filter by defense, the kid's a rookie in Colorado, of all places. He had a 21.6 defensive statistic by Fangraphs. Second, Dalton Varsho with a 9.1. Holy fuck. Yeah, that is a Damn. huge, huge difference. Now, Brenton Doyle sucks so at hitting. He cannot hit. But this guy has the best glove in center field that I've seen in quite a while from such a young player, and that's also why he won the Golden Glove. Yeah, he was ridiculous in the field. <laughs> I, I was just, I was just going to ask you what. So he's double the defensive player of second place. Yeah, is what they're saying basically. Yeah, how? how? <laughs> Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Damn. But he's amazing at fielding. He strikes out 35% of the time, though. <laughs> and only <laughs> batted 203. Uh, <laughs> my other ones, uh, Michael Harris, of course. He really turned it up in the second half. Um, the strikeout rate, way low, considering last season being his rookie year. Um, got it down to an 18.7, which is amazing. On base percentage at 331. Got the average all the way up to a 293, which was great for him. Uh, a 477 slugging, a little bit low, but uh, we definitely saw a, a decrease in extra base hits. So that definitely attributes to that. Uh, but he plays great defense. He was top eight in uh, amongst center fielders in defense. And um, he was definitely up there in war. Uh, uh, yeah, seventh in war amongst center fielders with a 4.0. The kid was amazing, and it's only his second season. And considering how brutal of a start to the season it was I'm very happy to have seen him turn it around and, and play that well yeah also Brandon Nimmo. yeah I like Michael uh, Harris he's uh, an honorable mention of course and uh, Tommy, awesome. uh, Tommy Edmund as well he had a great year um, it just doesn't really get much shine uh, when you look at it like def- or offensively but he had a great defensive season um, and um Despite hitting 248, he got on base th- uh, 307, um, which isn't that bad uh, when you look at the rest of the field. Dang. And he I plays like two positions, so that also hurt him. That's fair. Yeah, that's my guys. Any honorable mentions for yourself? Um, No, nah, the, the dude from the Reds I looked at, yeah, I, I can't remember Friedel. his name, but I was... I looked at him for a minute. He he finished the season really well. And you're right. Th- a guy that I didn't really hear about in the regular season, it was all about, you know, Ellie and 
Votto and, you know, Chad Green. I think Spencer that's the pitcher's Steer. name, right? Yeah. Hunter but, Green, um, not Chad Green. That's a former reliever for the Yankees. That's right. Hung up over the old guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I think that was a, a solid list from the two of us, considering, yeah, you know, we had four of the same players and only switched around two of them. <laughs> yeah, I um, that was hard to make. It was, was definitely the it hardest. It was definitely the hardest. To uh, tomorrow's or not tomorrow, next week's list will be pretty fun. Right fielders. Um, yay, Acuna, I think, yeah, wow. I think we know who number one is next there. week. Um, <laughs> Nonetheless, there is some some good guys to talk about. A lot of honorable mentions. I, I'm going to just go ahead and say that because um, I've been kind of looking. A lot of honorable mentions yeah. that we will be going through. So, um, yeah, I think that was, uh, that was a pretty solid list right there. And um, how about we talk about some soccer? Let's do it. I'm excited. We have another week where it's just a bunch of Premier League soccer throughout the week. Not really any matches this weekend. The four that are this weekend really suck. Uh, Arsenal, Crystal Palace, and Brentford, Nottingham Forest on Saturday suck. And then uh, on Sunday, Sheffield United versus West Ham and Bournemouth versus Liverpool. But we'll start off on Monday with Brighton versus Wolves. This matchup, surprisingly pretty good. Uh, Wolves have been on great form. They've gotten themselves up to 11th in the table. Um, you know, they're nearly at an even goal differential. Um, and considering they're right there in the middle of the pack, it's a pretty good spot to be in. They're coming off three straight wins, a 2-1 win over Chelsea, a 4-1 win over Brentford, and a 3-0 win over Everton. Now they go up against a Brighton team that isn't on the best form. Brighton's last five, you're looking at a draw on December 9th, a loss to Arsenal on December 17th, a draw with Crystal Palace on December 21st, uh, a 4-2 win over Tottenham on December 28th, and then a draw versus West Ham on January 2nd. They've had quite a bit of time off for Brighton, and um, they're not fine. They're not, you know, facing Wolves at a good time. Yeah, no. Uh, Wolves have, you know, they've climbed all the way up to 11th place in the league right now, which is uh, yeah. re- really good for, you know, what they looked like last season and kind of the beginning of this season. Um, I, I really, I, just, I like what they have going on. I think uh, they signed Mateus Cunha from Atletico Madrid, I want to say, and he was a, yeah. I think they signed him as a striker. I really like how they have him lined up here in their 3-0 win against Everton, where he was the player of the game. Kind of as like a they sort of ran like a two cam, yeah, formation with uh, He Chan Huang at uh, striker, and I really like what they're doing there. Um, don't really know much else about Wolves though. Um, I, I know yeah, that they your... do have a couple of guys on international duty with Afcon uh, and the uh, I think it's the Asian Cup Asian or Cup. Asia Cup. Yeah, um, both of these teams actually have people out uh, on international duty for Wolves. Uh, it's Bubakar Traore, uh, Ryan Itnori. Uh, Justin Hubner and um, He Chan Huang is also on international duty. And then for Brighton, okay. um, Kaoru uh, Matoma and uh, uh, Simon Adingra. So two starters for Brighton are uh, going to be gone. That's brutal. Um, yeah. I have a I have a fun Brighton stat for you. Oh, please. Or a, a stat about a Brighton player. I hope you haven't seen this yet. I, um, I'm going to go go ahead and say I doubt that I've seen it. Okay, four thousand 
776 players have made at least one Premier League appearance. Okay? Okay. James Milner Ah, has played against 2,277 ones of these players. That is insane. It's ridiculous. I, I, I don't understand... Well, I know how, but that's just crazy. He James is Milner. just the definition of a mediocre soccer player. Yeah, and he, he's been able to hang around for a long yeah. time, too. And then I saw this other stat yesterday to kind of put this in comparison for James Milner. LeBron has played against like 35% of the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah, that's insane. But how about James Milner? <laughs> yeah. Shout out that fucking oh, boring ass guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, with, with Brighton though, I, I like I like Jason Steele at goalie a lot. I like Billy Gilmore, the old midfielder from Chelsea, aka Scottish Pierlo. Um Yeah, other than that, the their striker pairing of Jao Pedro and Danny Welbeck is just strange to me. Like why yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't expect to see think, those guys in the same room. I think I'd probably more expect to see Evan Ferguson up front. Uh, in this Brighton squad, um, with Yao Pedro as well, uh, you know the yeah. way they lined up against Stoke in the FA Cup. Um, I think this was last week or the week before last. Um, not quite their their like starting team, but they won four two against Stoke, and Evan Ferguson started up front with Yao Pedro kind of playing a left attacking mid, kind of like a left forward. Um, in a they call it a three four two one. And it kind of plays like a three four two one, and it kind of plays like a, a f- um, sorry, a, a five five two two one. It, it's very weird um, to watch it used, but um, I've, I've watched Brighton a couple of times when they've lined up similar to this, and um, it's entertaining for sure. It's very, very uh, Manchester City derivative. Uh, oh, with the use of the fullbacks yeah. uh, as midfielders. Nice. Um, well, I, I'm going to go ahead and give a score prediction here. I mean, it, yeah. it is only Brighton Wolves, um, but I think it is going to stack up to be a better game than what people think. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna say Brighton gets back into the win column here. I'm going to go 2-1 Brighton. Yeah, uh, I like Brighton's chances. I, I do know that, you know, the, you know, missing Adingra and uh, Matoma are definitely big losses, but I think... Um, Wolves kind of on the same side uh, with with missing players right now, so um, I'm gonna go Brighton. I think it's a safer route, and I'm gonna take them three two. I like it. Um, but Tuesday we've got quite a long lineup of games. Uh, only one really sticks out, but you have Nottingham Forest, Arsenal, Fulham, Everton, Luton, Brighton, Crystal Palace, Sheffield United, and then the game we'll talk about, which is Aston Villa versus my Magpies in Newcastle. This one also a bit of an interesting game. Um, these are two teams, first of all, that I considered um, for being Uh-oh. my team. Obviously, I landed on Manchester United. Probably not my best decision as of right now. Uh, as Aston Villa sits third in the table, uh, they do have a game in hand. Or, or Sorry, they have one more game played than Liverpool and Man City, who are both ahead of them. Well, Man City's tied with them on points, but... Uh, Villa has kind of slipped up in most of that uh, due to a draw with Everton last week. It was not a good showing 
for Aston Villa. Um, it, it just yeah. seems like the goal scorers didn't come to play. Ollie Watkins, bad in this game. Um, Diaby wasn't horrible. It just seemed like the chance creation wasn't great. But the good things from them, the defense is still solid, super physical. Like you have Consa, um, Diego Carlos, uh, Langley, and um, I'm trying to remember his, uh, Alex Moreno, the Spanish left back. That four is amazing, especially with Martinez behind them. And then in the midfield, Kamara and Douglas Luiz have been locked down. It's just about the attacking, and it just simply has not been good enough, and that's why you draw against Everton. Uh, that's why you only put up one against Middlesbrough. Like, It's pretty obvious that in these last couple of appearances for this team, they haven't had the goal-scoring ability they've had throughout the season, and it's certainly been a part of why they're on a skid. Yeah, I, I like that take because if you look at the deeper stats in the Everton game, Aston Villa had 69% of, of the ball, um, more shots, more shots on target, but the same amount of big chances in the game as Everton, which is just, you know, unacceptable, really. Um, yeah, uh, that's really all I got for Aston Villa, but, you know, your Newcastle are coming off of a really brutal loss to City. Should have been a draw, Um and I, I kind of wanted you to take it away. What are you, yeah. what are you thinking from Newcastle? Uh, I watched that one from from zero to fucking Oscar Bob in the 90th plus one. Um, <laughs> and it was brutal. Uh, I have to say, like, kind of wish Kevin De Bruyne waited another week to, uh, to decide to come <laughs> back. But obviously he didn't, considering he scored in the 74th minute, five minutes after he came into the game, and uh, assisted Oscar Bob on the uh, game-winning goal. Um, a fucking Oscar Bob. Yeah, dude. dude fuck Oscar Bob. <laughs> that piece of shit. And like, it's just you know, it's Man City. I I, I went into the game thinking we would lose. The fact that we went up two one and carried that all the way to the seventy fourth minute was great. Like we looked good in the whole first half. Like the the goal from Isaac, who's we've been waiting on to show some attacking prowess, and of course Ag. The, the golden boy at the moment for Newcastle. He simply cannot do wrong at the moment. He scored a goal in that game. But it's it, it just feels like it's the same guys over and over again now that are making the mistakes. Fabian Scher is pushing too far up the field sometimes, and, and it's causing issues. Lewis Miley, for his age, I have to give him his props. He is 17 years old. He's playing. He played okay against Manchester City. He's played and just kind of held his own this whole season in that role that he did not expect to be in at all this season. But he's done it, and, and I have to give him props for that. Kieran Trippier has made a turn for the better. Dan Byrne contributes when he can, but he is way too fucking slow to be playing left back in the Premier League. These wingers beat him every single fucking time. The amount of times I saw Phil Foden dribble right past Dan Byrne, and he just looked so fucking disoriented, killed me. Like, it was ridiculous. And, like, I, I love that Sean Lonstaff likes to play box-to-box, but he just simply doesn't have the fitness to go 90 minutes. And he stayed in this game for 90 minutes because we don't have the depth to do anything. I sent you a text during this game saying like if we were to make a substitution the team would be worse 
no matter who we took off the field at that time, the team would be worse because there is nobody on this bench that is better than a guy on this lineup that has played 80 minutes already. There's literally no one. They brought in fucking Lewis Hall as our only substitution in a 3-2 match that had, I believe, like six minutes of injury time at the half and six minutes of injury time at full. How? How do you make one substitution throughout that entire process? Fucking Man City had to sub off their keeper in the eighth minute. Stefan Ortega had to take the place of Ederson after an injury in the eighth minute. And then they have, of course, the super sub of Kevin De Bruyne on their bench to come in, who, first of all, if you looked at this starting lineup, you would be like, oh, they, they should have won even without Kevin De Bruyne. And then they just put in Kevin De Bruyne over Bernardo Silva, who scored a goal in this game. <laughs> like They just have this wealth of depth that is ridiculous. And then you bring on fucking Oscar Bob for Jeremy Doku, who has never... Jeremy Doku has never tried to do something with the ball, or at least get it out from his feet, unless there is a defender within inches of him. <laughs> he will not. He refuses to create space. He simply wants to walk up to you dribble in your face a little bit, try and beat you to one side, and then maybe get a step past you to cross the ball in, and then it probably just hits a defender in the feet. Like He is so ridiculous to the point where it's like, you have space and you need to use it. I don't know why I'm going on a tangent about Man City at the moment, but what I'm trying to say is that Newcastle simply does not have the depth to compete with a good team at the moment. We just don't, and it, it it pisses me off not only that we're not looking to sell some players, but we're not looking to bring anybody in. I, I keep seeing people are linked, and then I keep seeing shit like Eddie Howe doesn't want to bring anybody in in this transfer window. Why? Why do you not want to bring people in? We started this season off so fucking well, and I get it. Tonali obviously derailed this whole thing, and then you factor in, the fact that Nick Pope is out till April. And that really screws things up. But, like, we can't just keep complaining about shit. Jacob Murphy had a great start to the season. Harvey Barnes had a great start to the season. We're not going to see either of them for at least a couple more weeks. And we haven't seen them since November. So, I, I just, I think it's a matter of you have to get over yourself and do what's best for this team. I know we shouldn't be spending more money because of financial fair play. We might even have to sell players because of it. But I'll tell you what, I am 100% fine with selling on either Alexander Isaac just to make some money back off of it. I'm totally fine with selling him. I'm totally fine with selling off Jamal LaSells. I don't need them on this team if they're not going to do anything. And if it's going to help us in the long run to get rid of them now, do it. Because there's a whole second half of the season to be played. There's still, what, 18 matches for this team to play? Or, you know, 16, 18, I can't, I can't remember how many games are in this season, whatever. I think it's 38. I don't know. Um, but we need to make changes, and they are just simply refusing to. Even if it's short-term loan deals for the rest of the season just to add some depth to this team, anything helps. Because the last thing I need is fucking Lewis Hall getting subbed in and Matt Ritchie getting subbed in and Emil Krafts getting su subbed in. They just simply don't make an impact every single time they're on the field. It, it does not make sense to me. 
Dang. That was I a good one. my case. <laughs> That's one of my favorite ones. That was very good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, to your point, they're really, you know, Newcastle has a lot of no-name subs on their team. Yeah. While Manchester City has Calvin Phillips, Jack Grealish. Yeah. Uh, Calvin Phillips just wouldn't in, even touch the field. No. <laughs> and he's a player that, honestly, y'all could probably use at, you know, depth midfield or maybe yeah, even well, in a starting role. Who we'll knows? We'll talk about it. Um, transfer news. <laughs> transfer news. But, um, yeah, what what a game for Kevin De Bruyne to come back. And it, it's now officially over. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, they'll catch I, I assume they'll. The time. Yeah, I, I assume that they'll probably start Kevin De Bruyne against Aston Villa. I think it's it's probably time for him to be unleashed. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give my score prediction. I think it'll be three one City. City is not playing in this game. Oh wait, is it's it not? Newcastle oh, it's Newcastle and Villa. Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, now that that changes things because now you know it, it's been tough for Newcastle. I think it's one nil Aston Villa. I'm gonna go one one. All right, I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it'll be one one draw. <laughs> All right, well then. Um, then we'll get into uh, Wednesday. There's some games as well. You got Man City, Burnley, Spurs, Brentford, and then the game that will round out our coverage here: uh, Liverpool, Chelsea. Um, Luke, obviously Chelsea needs something to turn around for them. Uh, they're only uh, two points ahead of Newcastle at the moment in the table, um, and you're coming off of three straight victories in the Prem: a two-one over Crystal Palace, a three-two over Luton, and a one-nil over Fulham. All of course, bottom of half of the table teams. But if there's a good time to catch Liverpool, it'd be now, considering they have to play a game this weekend um, uh, on Sunday against Bournemouth. You might catch them kind of a little little bit tired going into Wednesday's match. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I don't really know how to feel about this one. It, it, it I, I have it broken down. Um Chelsea's fullbacks have not been able to stay healthy. And in and, and my opinion, Ben Chilwell and Reese James are probably, I would say, the two best players on this team on paper. Yeah, and they can't stay on I the field. I would go that far. They can't stay on the field. Um, Moises Caicedo has overall been a good signing, probably not getting his money's worth. Um, I, I, I've liked the way he's looked recently. He kind of started poor, though. Um, yeah. Enzo Fernandez is decent. Connor Gallagher, you know, we both know how I feel about him and how you feel about him as well. Raheem Sterling's having an okay season this year with Chelsea. Um, I like how he started Armando Broja last game against Fulham. He, you know, didn't score, but Chelsea strikers don't score. Um, Cole Palmer scores is what Cole Chelsea Palmer's does. the go. Um, and, uh, yeah, Cole Palmer has by far been our best player all season. And to be honest, I don't really mind starting Petrovic over um, – oh, my God, I can't think of – Sanchez. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't mind starting Petrovic over Sanchez. I, I, I like Petrovic a lot. Um, and we're we're going up against a Fulham team that has nope. gotten... Liverpool. No, sorry, Liverpool. Sorry, <laughs> that's... I, I was looking at who Liverpool played in their yeah. last game. Yeah. Um, Liverpool were a completely different team when Chelsea first played them this season. I think it was a nil-nil draw uh, the first game. I think it was first game of the season uh, for Chelsea and Liverpool. Yeah. 
And since then, they've, you know, picked up Indo and Ryan Gravenberg. Um, they're, you know, holding midfielders that they need. And, and they've really kind of settled into whatever they're doing over there. Um, it, it's just been working very, very well. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about this game, man. I, I don't think Chelsea not having any production from strikers as far as getting goals is yeah. very alarming when you play against very good teams. Chelsea's defense has been solid since last year. But um, we are not a team that if Liverpool get going and they score maybe two goals, we're not a team that's going to be able to, you know, crawl back into the game. Cole Palmer can't do it all. He's not even yeah. supposed to be the guy that does it all. So, um, yeah, it's January 18th. We're almost halfway through the month. Um, I'm just waiting on Mbappe. So, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I think – well, I'll, I'll let you give your breakdown, but I do have a score prediction. Yeah, well, what I just realized is that um, these matches, the last two matches we just talked about, aren't being played until like two weeks from now. We're going to keep talking about them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I just realized that. Um, nonetheless, the next game's on the schedule for some of these teams, so um, we'll keep talking about it. But uh, Chelsea does have Nicholas Jackson out on international duty, which might be more of a blessing than a curse. Um, and then uh, Robert Sanchez is out uh, at the moment with a knee injury. So uh, it will be Petrovic and goal. Um, you guys have sent a couple guys on loan um, as of right now. Uh, I don't think it's any like starters uh, to be worried about. Um, and then for Liverpool's side, you might get a little lucky here. Wataru Endo and Mohamed Salah on international duty. Trent Alexander-Arnold is going to be out for the next couple of weeks. Thiago Alcantara is going to be out for a few more days. Probably makes it back for this game. Um, not too sure, obviously, because now that I've realized it's fucking two weeks away. Uh, just about. And then, um, you know, Mod tips out for the season. Sabaslai is doubtful. Uh, and Andrew Robertson's out until February. This is going to be a weak Liverpool team, uh, obviously for like the next week, but also going into this match, it's going to be a tough matchup. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, for, for Chelsea, 1-1 draw seems uh, the most realistic thing that I could come up with. So, yeah, Chelsea won, Liverpool won. Yeah, I, I think um, we're going to see a dominant performance by Liverpool, and Chelsea's going to win 1-0. Um <laughs> Yeah, look, Mohamed Salah is the only I mean, guy that yeah, can actually I, finish on this team. Darwin Nunes can take as many yeah. shots as he wants. He's going to hit the post 90% of the time. So Good point. Um, yeah, I think I think Chelsea has a, a chance to win. But, you know, two two weeks will change things. You know, the transfer window closes on that day. So <laughs> there's no telling what oh, these wow. teams will look like. Um yeah. At that point. Yeah, that was a, a bit of a lapse in uh, me paying attention to anything. Um, I didn't realize there was only games Saturday through Monday uh, until January 30th. So, um, shit, that's tough. That's so <laughs> weird. Well, I guess um, I guess that tells you there's that's no okay. Premier League to talk about next week. Um, there's no games next weekend. Uh, nonetheless... Let's um let's talk about a couple of Premier League news things before I get into the transfer news. Manchester City have been issued a hearing date for their 115 financial charges from the Premier League. Um so we might be getting a points deduction uh coming up soon. A big one. Uh and then Everton and Nottingham Forest 
will face minimum six-point deductions this season uh, after being charged with financial fair play violations. So Everton will be getting another deduction, uh, and Nottingham Forest will be getting a deduction as well. Why has this become such a meta thing this season? Because they keep fucking changing the rules. Every single year, over year, they keep changing what the financial fair play rules are, and it keeps fucking teams over that make mid-season moves, essentially. Well, this this season has been ridiculous with point deductions yeah. for teams, especially in the Prem. Yeah, and there's also but, a risk of um, there's a risk of Manchester United doing getting one. There's a risk of Newcastle getting one. Um, I believe uh, a few more teams as well are, are at risk. It's insane. Wow, because this yeah. doesn't happen anywhere else. No, and the Prem still has the best players. Not they still spend the most money. <laughs> yeah it exactly makes no sense. uh i just wanted to update on those and then look i have a lot of transfer news to go to I, I i told luke and i didn't really give him the specifics got about four pages four and a half pages of transfer news so do you want me to go through the little that i have first yeah go ahead and uh that'll that'll okay, help me cut out some some ones that i've got Okay. Well, actually, now that I look, I only have, I only have one. Um, okay. What were you about to say though? Before? Oh no, you're good. I was Sorry, just going to say that I'm going to I'm just kind of roll, um, and um, either I'll stop for some discussion. You can stop me uh, if you want to talk about a move. Uh, but otherwise, I, I just kind of want to run through it. I, I didn't realize how much I had until I got done with it. Okay. Well, I actually I'm going to run through some free agent um, players that I, I think they're still free agents. This is from January first. This okay. post, so there there could be some guys. Yeah, that I'll are let you know. Here, I've but... been paying pretty close attention. Yeah, there, there's some good guys in here. Honestly, guys that I wouldn't mind if Chelsea uh, looked into. But uh, your first one is obviously David De Gea, yep. still unsigned. Still um, Jesse Lingard is a free agent at 31 yeah. years old. He'll, so, uh, I've got yeah. a, a quite a feature on him at the end of this uh, segment. Okay. Um, Douglas Costa, uh, the Brazilian winger, yeah. is a 33-year-old uh, free agent. Uh, Phil Jones is a free agent. Gotcha. Um, sure Manchester United will Dun- at some point. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, Chakradun Mustafi, the, the center back, the German oh, center yeah. back, is a free agent right now. Um, I really like this guy. Um, I, I would not mind it if Chelsea picked him up just as like a little depth thing. Arturo Vidal, at 36 really? year old, 36 years old as a free agent. Yes. Uh, same with Luis Gustavo. Same age, by the way. Both of those guys. Um, Jerome Boateng at 35 years old as a free agent. Yeah. And Javier Pastore, the midfielder from PSG, oh. most notably. And I think more recently, Juventus is 34 and he is a free agent. Interesting. Um, and then my, my transfer news that I have here that was actually, I think, debunked this day, or maybe it was yesterday, but Green Benzema for a second was linked with Arsenal and Chelsea. I've got a bit um, of a and, section here. Okay. Um, do you want me to keep going or do you want me to leave? <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Okay. Well, basically, you know, it, it was being talked about that maybe Arsenal should sign him. Gabriel Jesus only has three goals in the prim. Gabriel Martinelli has two and uh, Saka has six. Um, on top of that, Benzema's time in Saudi Arabia, as you and I have covered and as, you know, we both know, has been pretty, like, meaningless. Yeah, it's I would weird. say to his career, it's been not only weird, but he isn't playing as good as he probably should be, 
over there. Yeah, and, um, and the problem is is that like their season ended at a weird time. So like right now they're in preseason. Um which is odd. Um, okay. So I, I've been seeing all these conflicting reports about Kareem Benzema. It's really pissing me off at this point. Um, but it's like, so at some point I'm going to see, I see something that's like, he's not leaving. Um, you know, all it's, had wants to him to stay and he won't leave. And then I'm seeing like, he is leaving. He's linked to Chelsea Arsenal. Fuck. I've, I've heard, uh, Newcastle. I, I've heard, um, I've heard so much shit about the possible landing spots. I've heard Chelsea going after Alexander Mitrovic. So many rumors wow. from out there. But then I'm also hearing stuff about Kareem Benzema's choosing not to be at preseason training. And then I also got something saying that Kareem Benzema's representation said that he's stuck in, um, uh, I, I can't remember how to say it. I think it's more, more, Mauritius. Um, it's like an island beach destination okay. in Europe. Um, and then I'm seeing he's going to take a loan move. And then I'm seeing he wants a permanent move. Like, it literally doesn't stop with these fucking reports. And none of them line up. <laughs> yeah. It is ridiculous. Exactly. Um, um, personally, though, if, if, you know, Benzema was going to leave, I, I would... I would actually take him over Ossiman over the fact that Benzema is more of a sure option of, you know, how he can play no yeah. matter where he's at than Ossiman because Chelsea have had this thing where we sign young players on the striker for a lot of money and they just don't pan out at Chelsea. Timo Werner and Morata being the most two notable yeah. younger guys that we've signed. I think, you know, getting a veteran guy that's already established himself as one of the best strikers in the world might be a better route for Chelsea, and we can sign a younger guy to sit behind that guy. It, to me, that is easily the perfect way to do it, but, you know, I am I guess I am a rocket scientist and none of the guys at Chelsea are when it comes Fair to enough. how to handle strikers, so. Yeah. Um, all right, well let's let's uh, let's just get it started with the the striker to talk about. Uh, PSG have offered Mbappe a new contract worth eighty six million per year. Uh, I believe mm. that'd be in euros. Um, and they've done this and also requested a decision on his future quickly so they can avoid another issue like the last two years where it's like, is he going to Real Madrid? Is he not? Does he want to be at PSG? Is he going to leave on a free transfer? Uh, they don't want to deal with that again, or at least the 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 you know they they want to know what's going to happen uh, essentially. But uh, at Real Madrid at the moment, uh, you're getting stuff saying that Mbappe's already agreed to terms on a contract. Then I'm also seeing that some of the senior figures at Real Madrid believe that the club should target Victor Osimhen over Kylian Mbappe. That's insane. Like, uh, and I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like I, I have no clue. And then you've also got, you know, some people at Real Madrid that are beginning talks with Erling Holland's people, with the goal of just creating a link between the two. Uh, with the view being that there's a future transfer, and uh, it doesn't involve his 200 million euro release clause. So now you've got people in fucking, at Real Madrid. There is people talking to Mbappe. There is people talking to Victor Osimhen, and there is people talking to Erling Holland or Erling Holland, all at the same time. And there is also a chance they get none of them. 
Yeah. A good chance they get none of them. I think so too. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> Uh, what's going on there? Not quite as interesting as what's going on at Barcelona, but I have a whole section for that at the end. Uh, so well, we'll um, we'll continue talking about PSG because they could sell on Gonzalo Ramos uh, because looks like Luis Enrique and the rest of the management is not convinced by his ability to play well in high-level matches. Brutal. They spent 65 million euros on him this summer. Yeah. And do not trust his ability whatsoever. That, I mean, that's what you can do when you have money like that. You just True. throw it around. True. Um, um, that one's interesting, I, I feel. Like, he, he had a good showing at the World Cup, of course. Um, and then, like, he was pretty good in Liga Nos last year. But I, I, I don't know. I guess, to me, it didn't seem like they were going to need him to immediately make some ridiculous impact. I thought kind of the idea was that he's a young guy and they could take their time with him. Yeah, especially when you consider the fact that they also have uh, Colin Mawani as well. Yeah, yeah, to already give up on a guy like that has shown so much potential like Ramos, um, I I, I personally really hate the PSG coaches for saying that they don't think he can play in high-level situations because... Last time I checked, there was this World Cup where that guy kind of maybe, maybe not replaced Cristiano Ronaldo. So PSG yeah. can fuck off. I, I really I hate that. Um, maybe it's the culture of your shit bye-bye-bye, bye-bye-bye team that can't win anything in Europe. Yeah. So that that's kind of where I, I lean there. And I'm honestly good. Good if he leaves PSG. I just hope that other teams don't give up on him as well because I think there's still something there personally. I agree. Um, I, I think a but, move to like um like a middle tier team in Spain um would be a great move for him. I think, you know, um making a move to like a team amongst the, the likes of like Real Sociedad, um or something like that, just to go play meaningful time and yeah. just kind of prove to people that you are good. It's just the culture, the coaching, whatever it may be at PSG, just is simply not good. In which yeah, or or one of, of yeah, um, or one of the like stepping stone prim teams, like a yeah. um, like a Brighton or like a you know someone yeah. in that kind of definitely genre of Premier League team, genre of Premier League team. I like nice. that. All right, I, I went, I kind of went in on PSG there, but. I just want to reiterate the fact that, you know, it's ridiculous that replacing Ronaldo in his retirement World Cup isn't high level enough to PSG. Don't know, man. It's crazy. Uh, But speaking of the rich getting richer and constantly just doing whatever they'd like in the transfer market, Man City are exploring the option for a new winger. The top three candidates are Wolves, Pedro Neto, uh, Girona, Savio, and Napoli's Kavishka Kavrishalia. None of those guys. Well, may, maybe Kavashirlila, yeah. K- K- the Georgian. Yes. Um, maybe him. The other guys won't play. Savio is very good for Girona, and Girona sits atop the table in La Liga right now for some weird fucking reason. Uh, but he's not like he's not Man City starting winger level. Um, but then again, they don't have the best wingers um jack Grealish has struggled to stay on the field this season um phil foden's been good at best um just kind of 
running down the list and, and you lost Riyad Mahrez in the summer. I I wouldn't be surprised if they actually do make a move for a winger before this window closes. Yeah, I I don't know. I just feel like um you know, with players like Bernardo Silva, Foden, Grealish and Doku, you know, you've invested a lot of time into some of those guys. I, I don't know if wing, I don't know if wing would be the position I would go if I was city, even, even Doku. Like I, I know you just kind of shit on him uh, rightfully. So, but like 21 years old, you know, you signed yeah. him out of yeah. Antelope. He's not supposed to be good right off the bat, but I, I mean, maybe if you, I, I could see maybe replacing Jack Grealish, you know, he's 28 years old, which isn't old, but like still for man city, I feel like that's probably a player you can replace, but any of those players, even if you swap them with Jack Grealish, they're probably still not going to get, you know, a, a really good amount of playing time like you think they might. Yeah, right? I, I think kind of like you said, like Kavrashalia has the best chance, and it's not great. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit of Newcastle here. Uh, they made an attempt to sign Joshua Kimmich, but Bayern said that he is not available in January. His contract isn't up till 2025. Um, but it seems like there's going to be a lot of interest this summer, uh, for him at least. So Joshua Kimmich is definitely on the lookout, uh, for making a move. Mm. Uh, unfortunately we could not get him cause I would have loved to sign him and put him right back at center defensive mid. Like he started out. Oh as. yeah. He's, he's the kind of guy that like, he would be the most expensive player of that transfer window. No, surprisingly not. Uh, you don't think so? No, I, I, his valuation is much lower than it seems, um, because huh. he is aging a little bit. Um, like he burst onto the scene at like twenty-two. That was like five years ago, <laughs> six years ago almost. Dang. Okay. Because you know, it's and and then when it comes to like a, a defensive mid slash fullback. You're not going to get as much money out of them as as maybe some people would desire. Um, my biggest thing is that he would have to play defensive mid because he's not replacing Kieran Trippier at right back. Fair. Uh, nonetheless, Newcastle also have uh, showed some interest. Actually, they I think they made an offer uh, for Paolo Dybala uh, from Roma. Um, and he mm. only has a 11 million euro or sorry, 11 million pound release clause for clubs outside of Serie A. So it would not be hard to get him. Yeah, no, not at all. He he was a player that, you know, when Juventus kind of started falling apart a little bit, he was kind of caught in the middle of that. And then yeah. Jose Mourinho at Roma just completely like just revolutionized turn, turn the lights back on. Yeah. yeah. Turn the lights back on for Paolo Dybala. So, uh, yeah, that would be a, that'd be a, more sick signing than what people think it would be if Newcastle. I, I think so too, and I think Dybala has, you know, he's certainly done his time in Serie A. I think it's time that he sees something else. Yeah, it's fair. Um, Lille's uh, center back uh, Tiago Jallo is heading to Juventus on a permanent deal. He's a fantastic defender. I believe he's Portuguese. Um, so that's a good move. Uh, Real Madrid. Uh, I think we. Kind of talked about this last week. Real Madrid are working on recruiting Alfonso Davies to join in the summer. Um, I think yep. we I think we did touch on that last week. Uh, Aston Villa are interested in a move for Emil Smith-Rowe from Arsenal. Uh, I don't Ooh. hate that one. He's really struggling for minutes, um, but he's been fantastic um, for, um, was it the, I think it was the under-21s for England. He was amazing yeah. for them. 
And um, yeah. you just simply can't get on the field right now at Arsenal. Yeah, it's tough over there. Yeah, I think he does need to make a move, and I I think Aston Villa would not it wouldn't be a bad spot to be. No, definitely not. Uh, Sergio Reguilón has completed his loan move to Brentford from Spurs. Um, that one's just kind of insignificant, but it is happening. Uh, Atletico Madrid, it's close to a deal for Moises Keane on loan from Juventus. Um, oh, that one's interesting. Yeah, that's a, I like that striker a lot. Um, he had, he was, um, I think he's kind of going to be like a Martin Odegaard where Odegaard was really, really popular as a teenager, um, at Real Madrid and then kind of fell off and then he came back. And that's kind of what it looks like Moise Keane is uh, his trajectory is going with. So I, I really like that striker, though. He's phenomenal. Yeah, he's 23 years old right now. Um, and, yeah, I, I kind of agree. Like, he started his like professional time at Juventus in 2016, which yeah. is crazy. And, like, he spent some time at Everton, um, spent some time at PSG, and then got shipped back to Juventus in 2021. Um, it just seems like he hasn't really broken out, and um, I think that's kind of what we're waiting on. So I think a move to Atletico Madrid wouldn't be too bad, uh, considering he would be sitting behind Antoine Griezmann. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but my next is um, literally any team you could think of is interested in a loan deal for Calvin Phillips. Uh, <laughs> this is the weirdest list of teams I'm about to read off. West Ham, Newcastle, Bayern Munich. Barcelona and Atletico Madrid. Dang. What an odd group. Well, he can probably rule out a couple of those teams. <laughs> yeah. Barcelona, maybe not I mean, the best place to be going right now if you want money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dang. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't like totally weird... rule out Atletico Madrid. No? I wouldn't. Uh, in Newcastle. Oh, Newcastle. Uh, maybe. Because. Uh, apparently Man City's trying to make you pay $20 million in a loan fee. Mm. Which is ridiculous for Calvin Phillips, yeah, who has not money. been on the field. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, he could have forgotten how to play soccer. Exactly. Yeah. For all we know, he can not even stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could be placing him on the bench every day. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, Chelsea got a couple of Chelsea updates for you. Uh, they're once again showing interest in Southampton's Kyle Walker Peters. Um, Mm. so he's kind of been subjected to the championship this season, uh, because Southampton had such a high asking price for him, but Chelsea once again, showing some interest probably because like we talked about earlier, they can't keep any fullbacks healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I actually haven't heard that rumor before. Oh, really? I think they showed no, some interest would... last summer and then it immediately got shut down because Southampton asked for some ridiculous number. Oh, damn. And um, we're not Liverpool. Oh, here it is. Uh, Chelsea have made offers for Kareem Benzema, Roberto Firmino, and Alexander Mitrovic. Um, obviously, the Benzema one probably not happening. And uh, I've heard that the Firmino one has been shut down as well. Uh, apparently he's not making a move from all Ali, but Alexander Mitrovic is an option. He, he's a proven goal scorer in the Premier League. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I don't really know how I feel about him, but maybe it's just somebody that's older in that striker room would help out even. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, if I wanted to get like a Mitrovich type player, I just I would want Giroud back. That guy is fucking true. Awesome. <laughs> that is true. But um now nah, we we need to go big on striker. Yeah. Well, uh you might get some money for it cuz Chelsea want 50 million pounds for Armando Broja. That is Damn. ridiculous. That's a lot of money. I was seeing like when they were first talking about signing a striker and they were talking about selling Broja, a lot of people were projecting him at about 35. Uh, yeah. I think 35 is probably more fitting. 50 is a lot for a guy that doesn't have much experience. Um, and, and simply, like, when he has played, hasn't made a huge impact. Yeah, and he's also spent, you know, I think he's had a couple significant injuries in his time, too, yeah. playing. Um, yeah, that's uh, 50 million. We, we might not sell him. That's crazy, yeah. <laughs> for 50 million. Yeah. Uh, speaking uh, of high demands, though, Barcelona are demanding 80 million euros for Ronald uh, Araujo as Manchester United and Bayern are both fighting uh, for the center back. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's a very fair fee for him. He's solid. I agree. Really but solid. This has caused some issues for Bayern uh, as Mateus De Litt is unhappy at Bayern because of this strong interest in Ronald Araujo. Um, and also, De Litt doesn't have the best relationship with Thomas Tuchel. Uh, so Eric Ten Hag has gotten pretty interested in reuniting with DeLitt as he does with all the rest of his fucking players. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess if they just let Bayern get Araujo, then maybe Manchester United has a chance of getting DeLitt. I actually love that move. DeLitt is a very, very solid defender, and I would love to see him in the Premier League yeah. so I can actually watch him. It um, would be he's nice. He's still the super two, young, too. Yeah, and, and the two best Dutch center backs in the Premier League. Yeah. That would be cool. It would be awesome. And the third, Sven Botman. <laughs> he might be third. I haven't really given it much thought past I, DeLitt and, I like, uh, and Van Dyke. Stefan De Vrij a lot. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's solid. also very good. Um He's at Inter, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, Sporting, Sporting Lisbon, uh, will only allow Victor Giocures, I believe is how you say it. I don't know how to say it. Giocures, uh, to leave the club this month if his 100 million euro release clause is triggered. Um, mm. I've heard some interest from Arsenal, uh, as well as a couple of Bundesliga teams, but um, I doubt anybody's going to... S- going to go for that hundred million uh for a january move no and then um this one's big brighton doing their thing finding the young south american prospects they completed the signing of argentine wonder kid and interestingly enough a ginger valentine barco uh from boca juniors for only 10 million u.s dollars oh yeah pocket change yeah nothing for um I think he's like seventeen. Damn. Yeah. So I'm sure he's uh, gonna prob- be amazing and then get sold to Chelsea or Arsenal or Man City and then he'll suck. Yeah. Project <laughs> Messi. Ginger yeah. Messi. Exactly. Uh and then you have uh Renan Lodi uh has completed his move to Al Halal. Uh, from, I believe, Marseille uh, was this team he was with this season. Uh, Real Sociedad have signed Geraldo Becker from Union Berlin, who had a fantastic year last season, 
Uh, but with how bad Union Berlin has been, they're going to start selling some people because they're probably heading right back down to the second league. <laughs> Damn. Um, this one's uh, I really like. Uh, Gerard Branthwaite, the center back for Everton, is high on Manchester United's summer transfer list uh, with Everton possibly having to sell him to avoid another financial fair play violation. Um, Jared Branthwaite has been one of the best center backs in the in the entire Prem this season, and it doesn't seem like many people are talking about him. Yeah, I I know who he is. I just didn't even know he was getting playing time. Yeah, no, he has been so good this season, and um, it would be a good move for Manchester United, but they tend to ruin that uh, often. Yeah, very often. But again, often. you know, sometimes signings from Everton work out for Man United, notably one. Yeah, that Wayne Rooney guy. Yeah, one of that weird-looking ogre um, <laughs> that scored one of the most beautiful bicycle kicks I've ever seen. Uh, Manchester United also interested in signing Real Sociedad uh, winger Mikel Oyarzabal in the summer. Mm. Uh, United are willing to trigger his sixty million euro release clause. Bro, so that one they, wouldn't be till the summer, but I, I still think it would be a good move. If they get him, you could you can just go ahead and leave Anthony next to away game. Oh man, I, like don't even take him. On it the would bus. be a dream come true, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Um. That he Oyarzabal is sick. Yeah, sick at soccer. Yeah, he is awesome. Uh, and then Chelsea wants seventeen million pounds for Kepa if Real Madrid would like to keep him this summer. Hmm. Only seventeen. Yeah, but the goalkeeper market is very low right now. And he would be their backup. Yeah. So who would want to pay seventeen million to be the backup? That is true, but I mean, Kepa is still a young, yeah, you know, sure. option and goalie. Um, I, I love the way that he earned his spot back last season. We should have never loaned him anyway. Yeah, I, I, I think I would if, if it was up to me. I would probably let Kepa come back and keep Petrovic and let Sanchez go. Yeah, that would, that would probably be a good move. But this one is definitely a good move by Chelsea. Uh, some Chelsea executives traveled to Brazil to close the transfer for Estavao Willian also known as Messino, and uh, will trigger his 60 million euro release clause. This kid's supposed to be next up. We'll see what happens. I never heard of that guy either. Fair enough. I think he's like 16. <laughs> and he had a 60 million dollar yeah. million euro release clause? Yeah. Shit. So he better be fucking good. <laughs> yeah, and his name's William. Yeah, and Messino. Yeah. So that's a good sign. Uh, Napoli have shown interest in Tottenham holding midfielder Pierre Emil Hoiberg. I wouldn't hate mm. that move. Nah, he's a solid center mid. Yeah. Um, this one was interesting to me. Serhu Girassi has decided he's going to wait till the summer if he's going to make a move from Stuttgart. Uh, West Ham shown a lot of interest in him. A couple of Prem teams showed quite a bit of interest in him. He's been fantastic in the Bundesliga this season. Um, this one, interesting. I know you'll um, be interested in this one. All Etihad are working on a deal for Angel Correa. And if he is sold, mm. Atletico Madrid would be interested in a move for Thiago Almada. Oh, wow. Yeah. Almada's yeah, been getting I mean, some big-time interest from what I'm seeing. Yeah, he's. I, I think Almada's ready, personally. Yeah, and he's also he, as good as gone. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. What a player. Yeah, he is amazing for Atlanta. Happy to say I've seen him live uh, before he, nice. you know, departed. But, uh, yeah, that guy is uh, – he's awesome. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, oh, here's a player that Chelsea sent on loan. Uh, Burnley have completed their loan move for David Dotro Fofana. Oh, so we brought him back just to loan him again? Yeah, we brought him back from – so you brought him back from Union Berlin because – why have him there if they're going to suck? Um, <laughs> yeah. And now you just get to face him at some point in the season, probably. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, Newcastle may have to sell Alexander Isaac to stay on the right side of financial fair play rules, which we kind of already talked about. And that brings me into uh, a couple of the situations, as I have um, called them here. Um, so, yeah, we'll start with Jordan Henderson. That situation is interesting. So, Signed for Al Ati Fox six months ago after being convinced to play with former teammate Steven Gerrard, and in his contract he deferred all of the money to later years to avoid UK taxes for 2023. All right, mm. whatever. Well, he realized he made a big mistake and he wants out. Um, and he's yet to receive a penny from Al Ati Fox because of those deferrals, and he may actually owe them bonuses because now he has, um. You know what? Uh, I don't even know what the term would be, but his contract is done. He is he has told them he wants to breach his contract or whatever and go to Ajax just to escape from uh, Saudi Arabia. He's going to take a seventy five percent pay cut, but it's a a big part of this decision is that he said he needs to play meaningful games to be selected for England's Euro squad in this summer, and he doesn't feel like he can do that in Saudi Arabia. Um, meanwhile. His manager and former teammate, Steven Gerrard, received a contract extension. So throughout all this shit, that pops up. (laughs) So, yeah, Jordan Henderson uh, has finally become, uh, I guess him and Hota have been the first two to realize that maybe going to Saudi Arabia for a shitload of money isn't as good as it seems. Yeah. Considering Hota fucking retired to get out of his contract, and he's like twenty-one years old. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, this Jordan Anderson situation Dang. is fucked up, and I get you know now he's going to Ajax. That's pretty cool, um, but it makes you wonder why he left Liverpool in the first place. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm mean, I'm sure Liverpool just kind of wanted to move away from him, and maybe he thought to himself, "I don't want to play for any other team in Europe except for Liverpool." Um, until he realized, you know, it's not this all about the, the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck am I doing here? I can't even read a menu. Yeah. That is probably <laughs> I've been here for six issue. months and I still yeah. can't order food. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely an issue. I'm sure they gave him a translator, but I'm sure that is a problem. So now let's get into the Jesse Lingard situation. So he's been a free agent oh, since boy. the summer window opened. And um, he's been talked about endlessly. Every single team in the Prem. I've been hearing some real random teams throughout Europe. But he's still yet to sign for a team. Earlier this week, I think it was on Monday, he fired his whole representation. So his agent, publicists, everything fired. Holy fuck. Then he offered himself to Barcelona. Told Barcelona that he would like to play for them. That's interesting. Uh, and yeah. he has since hired new representation, and they're looking into him making a move to the MLS. 
Oh, went from Barcelona to the MLS. Yeah. Then again, actually, you know what? I'm going to take this moment right now. Um, Barcelona, I know you're in a bad financial state. You could sign me for 500000 uh over 20 years. <laughs> I will gladly come and live in, in Barcelona, Spain. That yeah. works for me. Damn. Um, oh, and also, me too. you could fire Xavi. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a whole other thing. That's the next thing on the list. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Barcelona's financial situation first, though. So it's possibly the worst time for somebody like Jesse Lingard to offer themselves to Barcelona because they have no <laughs> fucking money. And um, it's to the point that they're going to be selling 49% of Barca Studios, which I don't know if you remember this might sound familiar because a couple years ago they did the same thing. They sold 49% of Barca Studios for 200 million euros. This is the second time they're doing it, which sounds kind of weird, because they previously it sold it to three companies. It's um, Orpheus, Socios, and Libero, and that allowed them to register players, and then those three companies never paid them. So they were just owed $200 million by these companies, and they just never paid them. So now they're selling it again just to get some money. And so they have no money at the moment. And the locker room is absolutely turned on club legend Xavi. Um, Xavi said that if uh, Johan Laporta, um, the president of FC Barcelona, decides to sack Xavi at the end of the season, he will waive the rest of his salaries because he doesn't want to hurt the already bad financial state of the club. But wow. meanwhile, Xavi's pleading for his job right now from sporting director and also club legend Deco. Um, but there are already talks about potential candidates. First on the list, Mikel Arteta, who definitely is not leaving Arsenal at the moment. Uh, but nah, the other so. is Bologna manager and former Barcelona and PSG midfielder Thiago Mata. Oh, yeah. That would be an interesting move. I would like that. Um yeah, that's crazy about Barcelona. It's yeah. like it, it baffles me because it's you know you think about it, you're like you literally lost Messi over this, and you still haven't gotten it figured out. Yeah, Messi's been on two uh, teams now. Yeah, and it was <laughs> very very clear that you know Messi didn't want to leave. Um, uh, yeah. that's just that's crazy. And Barcelona could have it's such a draw for players as well, but they they can't buy anybody. Yeah. It's yeah. That's why they keep signing players on freeze. Yeah. Well, like they 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 had to. I I, we might have talked about it last week. I might have just skipped over it. But Yao Felix, when he went on loan there, they literally like his salary was nothing because they couldn't like at the time they couldn't have registered him if they had his salary at what they wanted to pay him. So they had to wait a few months, and then they raised his salary by five hundred (laughs) percent. Wow! Yeah, it's insane. Um, Damn, I, I think, I think for honestly for Barcelona's sake, you should probably wait until the end of the season to sack Xavi. You're not going to get relegated. Like that's not a fucking problem. You'll probably make the Europa League or something if you're really that bad. Um, I'm trying to see where do they sit right now. 
That's what I was just about to check. They uh, are in fourth. fourth. They're in the Champions League at the moment. Um, they're ahead of Atletico Madrid. Uh, it's just that Girona and Bilbao have been insane this season. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like I think your best, op- your best chance is to just wait and let Xavi waive the rest of his salaries. It'll help you out, uh, give you time to scrounge up a little more money, and then possibly sell off a couple of guys, bring a couple of guys in, and just try and figure this shit out. Yeah, because it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, next thing, uh, we'll just talk about it real quick. Jose Mourinho was sacked by Roma, uh, and then mm. they hired Daniela De Rossi to replace him as their manager. Oh, I yeah. I loved him whenever he played. Yeah, he was um, awesome. Yeah, I sucks for Mourinho, though. I don't know if you saw, but he was crying leaving the stadium. Yeah. Uh, he got a big reception, too. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's my favorite manager of all time. I love Jose Mourinho. Yeah, he is absolutely great. Um. Well, Luke, we spent quite a bit of time on transfer news, like I anticipated. Um, so why don't we go ahead and get into questions time? Nathan, hit Ooh. us with some more questions, and uh, let's just go ahead and get into them. Um, let's do it. Would it be harder to get a base hit in the MLB or score a goal in the Premier League? Oh, much harder to get a base hit. I mean, that's... <laughs> I don't know. Pitchers are. I think it'd be very hard to score a goal in the Premier League. It would be, but hitting a baseball. This this is. See, this is where we're supposed to disagree. He's turning us against each other, Grace. I know. Because I'm a soccer player and you were a baseball player. And we think each other's respective sports would be harder. Yeah. (laughs) Which makes sense. Um, Yeah. No, look, I, I think the problem is, is. In baseball, yes, of course, it is extremely fucking difficult to hit a baseball. And for the regular, for a regular person, it's still going to be extremely difficult for you to hit a baseball. But to score a goal in a Premier League game, first of all, you have to have the fitness to even get up and down the field to go, you know, get into a position to, to score. It's hard enough to get into the position to score. You have to have the proper technique. You have to be able to keep possession of the ball. Like, there's so many other exterior factors. When it comes to getting a base hit in baseball, who's the pitcher and, you know, how well can I see the ball? Because, like, you're going to get lucky at some point and you're going to, you know, tip something off the end of the bat right over the first baseman's head. I don't know if you can just luck your way into a goal in the Premier League. That's... That's I, I that's a fair statement, but I, at the same time though, like for me, dude, if I tip a baseball, it's it may not even make it to the pitcher, which might be in your favor. <laughs> yeah, it could be if I could try to beat <laughs> it out, but I I don't know. I like my chances um, scoring a goal more than I would you know bet on myself hitting off of a premier a Premier League pitcher, an MLB pitcher. Nice. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the next one then. Uh, would you rather your team get Erling Holland or Kylian Mbappe? I I actually would take Mbappe. I can't really decide. I, I, I obviously like they're both great young strikers. They play very different. Um, and I think at least for Newcastle's sake. 
Um, Holland is probably the better fit. Um, at least just because he's bigger, physical, um, much more of like he'd be much better on set pieces rather than just like one on one counter attacking play. The Mbappe, which is he much still can at. do. Yeah, which Holland definitely can still take people on one on one. Well, they're I think they're both the same age, right? Uh, I know Holland's um, twenty three. Uh, Mbappe's twenty five, so Holland's actually two years younger. Um, okay. Yeah, I'd. I think I'd take Erling Holland simply for the fit in my team's squad, because like I I would yeah. love to see Kieran Trippier sending in corners and crosses and, and free kicks into the box to Erling Holland. That'd be fantastic for y'all. <laughs> yeah. Um, we can dream. Yeah, exactly. But instead, we have Isak and Nicholas Jackson. Yep. And. Hmm. Sometimes fucking Callum Wilson. Yep. Uh, all right, next, uh, Luke, how many chances would it take for you to get a hit off of Grayson pitching? Okay, I'll I'll give you a hint. If I pick my arm up for an extended period of time, it feels like it is going to fall off of my shoulder. So I'm going to get fatigued very fast. I'll just let you in on that. And if I throw hard once, it's shot. Uh, if you're actually pitching, because I've I've done BP with you. Yeah, and BP is I, not I, I actually batter, pitching. Which is not actually <laughs> pitching. I would, I would give myself no more than 30 pitches. I appreciate that. To finally get a a hit off of you because I would struggle. I, I've actually never had somebody pitch to me before. Fair enough. So. Okay. Yeah, I think I'd like my chances. I think I could get you to swing at stuff. That, that'd that be my best chance. It wouldn't be yeah. even be like accuracy or like throwing it too hard. It's just the fact that I could probably get you to swing at shit that is just not what you should be swinging at. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I wear glasses for a reason. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Oh, um, okay, so this flips it on me. How many chances would it take me? Uh, so I guess I'm asking this question myself. Uh, how many chances would it take me to score on you one on one in soccer? So I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna go with you are defending me one on one, and there's okay. a keeper that's not that good. Okay. So like a, an average keeper, I'd say. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Um. I I. I was gonna let. You I don't think I'm fast first. enough to just beat you, and I certainly don't have the footwork. But like, I'm sure at some point I could get you to just like reach a foot in and catch you off balance. I feel like that could happen at some point. Yeah, where where you would get me is whenever I played defense, I, I was super aggressive and I tried to play really fast and I was very handsy. Um, and I would. If I was going up against somebody that is much larger than me, like yeah. you, I would play even more aggressive than normal because I, I just have to. Yeah. With that being said, if you could somehow, while on the ball, get me to be aggressive and kind of like make me, like you said, lose my balance a little bit because I'm like over committing yeah. to your body and not even really going for the ball because you're probably blocking it. Yeah. That is how you could get me. I think it would 
I think it would take me somewhere around 10 to 15 attempts. 10 to 15. Yeah. I think it's a more okay. drawn out thing. Cause like, I, I feel like, and I could, I could be way out of pocket here. I feel like I could keep possession. Okay. It would just be when I try and get a chance to score, either you get in front of it or I just miss. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I I would give you 25. 25, okay. Uh, 10, to, 10 to 15, Look, like... I some, have never some... played organized soccer, but I've just, like, kind of <laughs> fucked around and, like, I've played it, like, I've I've run around and kicked the ball and dribbled a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, I can't kick no, you're. Well. I'll, I'll give myself that. Your Your advantage <laughs> would definitely be... Physicality. Just physicality yeah. for sure yeah okay um all right we'll we'll switch up the uh the thoughts here what would be your last meal Ooh, i i've actually thought about this before it would be a either a ribeye or a new york strip with mashed potatoes and broccoli really you're eating vegetables in your last meal well just collectively i feel like I mean, if we can just do anything we want, yeah, <laughs> fuck it. Uh, <laughs> what they're gonna I don't kill know. you after this? I don't think they that, care. That's <laughs> that is such a good meal, though. And what if they it don't is. get my steak right? That that's another problem. Do do prison cooks know medium? Okay, well let's just assume. Well? Let's just assume this is we're not on death row. We haven't committed some ridiculous crime that gets us killed. Um, and it's just a matter of we know we're gonna die tomorrow. What foods do we want for dinner? Oh, I've got a Fogo to show him. Fogo to show oh, okay. The restaurant. So you're going out the, to the eat. The Brazilian steak. Okay. House. Yeah. I got you. Um, I'm going to try and not just pick like a million fucking things that I would like <laughs> and try and narrow it down to something or like a couple of things. Um, But I got to go. I'm going to go like, I'm going to go like appetizer, entree, dessert. I think that's. That's a normal meal for some people. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get specific with this one. There's a Italian restaurant we used to go to when my grandma lived in Palm Coast, Florida, called La Piazza, and they did this garlic grilled cheese uh, as an appetizer that was fucking phenomenal. Like whole fucking slices of garlic that was confit inside of the grilled cheese, but also on top with like an olive oil. Amazing. That's gotta be that the gotta be the appetizer. Incredible. For the entree. Um Yeah, it, it's tough. Um I love just a fucking a good steak, uh for sure. But personally I'm just such an Italian food guy. Um I would love uh a vodka like a vodka sauce, chicken cutlets. Uh, sub, just a hero. Okay. Something real simple. Um, and then dessert, I'm keeping it Italian. Tiramisu is my favorite dessert. Far and away. So I'm just going all That's, Italian. Is that actually your favorite dessert yes, out of anything? It is phenomenal. I think, well, I swear we've talked about this before, but I also love tiramisu. Yeah. I, it would probably... It would definitely make my top five, but nothing is taking pumpkin pie from number one Whoa, for me. Nah, that's but a tiramisu, take, oh my god, tiramisu! Yeah, mm. my my dessert 
power rankings go, tiramisu, just a plain ass cheesecake, just a plain yeah. cheesecake, is amazing. Um, and then you start getting into like the ice creams and shit. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, last question. Back to sports. Mm. Best keeper of your lifetime. Goalkeeper? Yeah. Better check. Easy. Mm. Easy. Um, I think for me, at least in the time that I've watched soccer, Manuel Nora was the guy. Because it was like, I got into soccer in like 2015, and then... Uh, or like 2014, 2015. So it was like 2014 World Cup. Manuel Neuer, insane. Um, yeah. You know, you just kind of go down the list from there, and it was just like he was the best keeper in the world for the first like four to six years I was watching soccer. So yeah, I, I would also um one of my favorite ones and he's definitely one of the better ones i don't know if you could put him ahead of a lot of people though but Kaylor navas was yeah he was great once really he kind of got his shot at real madrid yeah won a lot of champions leagues definitely on yeah. those teams obviously you have to also shout out the guy that he ended up replacing uh Iker casillas was amazing yes uh jean luigi sure. buffon was amazing probably much before i was even born all the way up until like last year when he retired yeah, I would actually number two for me would be Buffon. I totally forgot yeah. about him until you said that. Yeah, yeah. number it's two is definitely that, Buffon. Like, yeah, and and Petr Cech would mm-hmm. definitely be up there for me. It's interesting. There's not more in the Premier League. Um, yeah, it it definitely is. Because um, now when I, you I look don't at it, it's why. like you've got some of the best at the moment. Yep. It is interesting. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to go Manuel Neuer, maybe just more for nostalgia, uh, in my mind. Yeah. And then um Jean Luigi Buffon. And then probably Iker Casillas. There are a couple, like I mean, we maybe not in our lifetime, but like all time you could say like Casper Schmeichel, yeah, Edwin Vandersar. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um uh, so many. David Seaman for Arsenal. Yeah. For sure. Um Yashin. Is he a Prem player? I don't know if he was in the Prem. I think I he didn't it. he spend his whole career in Russia? Probably, but that man was fucking good. Yeah, he literally played for Dinamo Moscow for 20 years. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's I a just true I just Soviet love that right his, his FIFA card. He has a fucking hat on. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite thing about him. I don't really know much else. He lived, uh, he was born in 1929. Literally so straight up only... born in the Soviet Union and died in the Soviet Union. Yeah. <laughs> lived and yeah. died in Moscow as well. He was born and died in Moscow. Um, yeah. And he played for the Soviet Union Olympic team in his international career and the Soviet Union international team. Damn. Straight up. Soviet Union till he died. It's a full blown communist, right there. Yes, sir. <laughs> One of the best. <laughs> yeah, he's actually the only goalkeeper to ever win a Ballon d'Or. Top three greatest communist of all time. Yeah, Yashin. Yeah. Um, who was the guy in the in like the Congress? 
um McCarthy. Congress. Right? What? He was in like the US Congress. It's like the whole like the crucible is based on it. You don't know what I'm talking um, about? Was he he the guy that like gave all the paranoia about like the red scare and whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I don't know I if he was the guy. guy that was the communist or the guy that was accusing people of being communists, but he's probably a top three communist. I think he was the guy accusing. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was just pointing. He was, hey, when you point fingers, you're pointing three back at yourself. I have way too much hand sanitizer on my hands. Fantastic. Well, I think that's a fantastic uh, reason why we are done here. Uh, Luke has put on the hand sanitizer. Um, he's he's cleaning himself of whatever the fuck we just talked about for two two hours and forty minutes uh, going on. Sorry. So that was crazy, right there. <laughs> Guys, we're we're not going to keep you here long. Just make sure that you're following, liking, subscribing, commenting, turning on notifications on YouTube, and then you're going over to that podcast platform, or maybe you're already there, and you're going to put five or you're going to rate five stars, and then you're going to leave a written review, and you're going to follow us there. And then you'll visit the link tree. You'll head to all those social media accounts, which are all written right here below us. And then we will see you guys next week. Luke, anything for the people before we get out of here? Um, nah, just have a, have a good safe weekend and watch some, watch some playoff football. You don't want to miss it. I, I, I often fall victim of the Steelers aren't in it. So now I'm just going to not watch football as if I don't care, Can't but do really that. it's going to be good games. Um, it's good to, you know, keep up with it anyway. Um, Definitely. and Hey, you can root for people to lose if you want to. That That's is true. Fine. That is true. So, so guys enjoy all the football this weekend. Uh, enjoy the little bit of soccer this weekend. And, um, yeah, I think that's all. So, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy. Peace. Peace.